Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Today is episode 295. The Coco Nation show starts now. Hello, everybody. Turn your radios off. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and welcome Good to the first day. official episode of the Coco Nation. Woo. Yes. And it hasn't blown up yet. We're on a go- we're on a roll. All right. And of course, those of you who caught us last week, we had an unofficial show, which was originally going to be just kind of a test and turned into a full show. So mm-hmm. and we do plan on starting at this time every Saturday. Uh gives time to get some lunch actually in. Before show time, so we're not all cranky. And, and Nick Morendi's gets to wake up slightly later in the early morning wee hours. Well, it's mm-hmm. noon Arizona, so we don't get to eat. Well, some of us get lunch. Uh, yeah, Arizona, Utah, uh, BC. Yeah, not yet for us. No. Left coast. <laughs> ah, I see Mark Siegel's in the chat, and it actually shows his name coming from Facebook. Mm-hmm. So you must have done that little update that you guys have been talking about. What you have to do to let Facebook Excellent. let your name through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for those on Facebook, uh, I guess they changed some security parameters. You have to actually allow Restream to view your profile information, or otherwise you come across as just being a anonymous user. Hmm. So, all right, let's see who we got on the panel today. Let's see. Top left-hand corner, we got L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And next over, we got Grant Leedy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation. And next over, Ron Delvo. I am honored to be here on our first show. Amen. Good thing. <laughs> Should we have had a blessing? <laughs> yeah, we could. Uh, let's see. Uh, next up, Mark Overhoser. Hello. Glad to be here. And the last on the top row, we got Sloopy Malibu. Greetings and welcome to the Coco Nation. Hiding behind some stuff there. All right, next up, next row, Ken Waters. Number one or 295, depending on your numbering system. And next over, Fred Provencia. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. And next up, Brian Weasler, who's busy setting up. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. And Terry Stiggy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation. God bless, Terry. God bless, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> next up, Jim Rye. Hey, Coco Nation. All out of diet, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> All right. Ooh. All right. The carriage return. We got uh, yours truly, Mark B. Then we got uh, Patrick Euland. Welcome, everyone. And Jason Riker. 
Yes, oh. that's really there. That's really us. Really us. It's really us. Yep. Make sure you have your passport stamp for the Cocoa Nation. Mm-hmm. How about your Dr. Pepper? Diet Dr. Pepper. It's ready to go. That's all you need to get into the Cocoa Nation is Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> That's right. And then next up, we catch him in mid-drink. John Boat of Cars Schaller. Hello, everybody. Glad to be part of the nation. All right, Boat of Cars is a large Chrysler, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a land yacht. Let's see. Next up, uh, Alan. Why, hello, everyone. How are you doing this fine new Oh, no. It's time for the Coco Nation. Folks, we have another imposter. I guess. Are you excited? Okay, next row, we got Nick Marentes. And good night, world. You sound more awake. (laughs) An extra hour of sleep there. Does wonders. It's a tape recording. (laughs) <laughs> and let's see david are you excited to be on the show today why yes i am and i'm happy to see everybody's here on a new year hopefully 2023 <laughs> will be better than 2022 with all the bizarre things that went on so let's hope this train stays on the rails and we have a great day great or- microphone you got there bud Actually, I think 2023 is just saying, hold my beer. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> hold my beer. Hold my beard. Let, let me keep the illusion of a good year going just a little bit longer. <laughs> and last but not least, we have Redbeard. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Glad to that, be that's here. That's Paul Thayer to regular people. Mr. Cocobon. Redbeard's fine. Cocobon's his fault. <laughs> I read whatever name is on the screen. <laughs> Just remember, he made level oh. 13. Don't forget Jason. Oh, 14. Or 14. <laughs> All of them. Jason? Yeah, we did Jason already. Yeah. He was doing his yeah. David Ladd impersonation, so maybe David yeah. thought it was himself speaking. <laughs> it's so confusing. All right. Uh, let's see. Over in the chat, uh, we've got several screenfuls already here. We've got eight bits in the basement. David Croker, uh, Frank Lin Linhart, Linares, Linares. Okay, thank you. I am, if nothing else, good at butchering names. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mikey. Mikey's in there. Michael Furman, Chris Cromwell. There's tons of people. Sexy. Ken Siegel, Tim Nogimes. Yep, and so uh, we actually have a new, uh, um, a new video from uh, Mr. Gimes today. Just for Ron. Mm-hmm. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Cromwell. Who else we got? David Lord. Man. Hey, Chris. David Beery is here. Sixy, otherwise known as Karen, is here. Tom Eric Gunderson is here. Mark Siegel's here. Because darn it, people like us. Wow. And they're all here today, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Got a lot of people watching today. I think they're just lost. I think they clicked on the wrong thing. Everybody (laughs) finally made it home from the holidays. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um, First up today, we're going to do project updates. So let me flip my screen over. And let's see. We probably should go ahead and do Terry first about the announcement of Coco Nation. Okay. 
Well, why don't we do Terry and Grant, and then uh, we'll bring go into Brian, go with Brian there. Kind of a project. So Terry, 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 you're in here somewhere. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Right. <laughs> well, on. we just. Oh, sorry. My screen's doing weird. Zoom does weird things with with sharing and stuff like that. But go ahead, you got the floor. <laughs> okay. Well, we just wanted to let everybody know that uh, the Coco Nation um, has formed an LLC. So we have um, the Coco Nation LLC. We've got uh, a board of officers. So basically, anything moving forward, um, the show is protected. Uh, not one person can can make a a, a change or, or cause any issues. So we should be good to go. We are also uh, in the process of trademarking the name and uh, getting the website all prepared for that as well. So if you got any questions, uh, please feel free to get a hold of us at uh, info at thecoconation.com. Take so it away, Grant. Officially sold out and gone corporate. We have. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is the website uh, presentable? Yeah, we I got that updated this weekend. Um, hopefully we can, I, I don't know, I guess I could show it if you would like me to. Yeah, it'd probably be a good idea. You should, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that was your intro to do so. I well, can't, I can't be on this show anymore. You all sold out. I got. <laughs> oh god. Oh, yeah, so when's standing. the IPO? That's what I want to know. We got initial public offering first. stock. We got to build to market share first. Yeah, when it gets above a penny, well, we can do that. Yeah, we <laughs> I think the IPO. I think the IPO might turn out to be more like an IPU. Are we going to have uh, certified uh, Coco Nation software? You know, it's been reviewed and sanctioned. <laughs> we're gonna have to do we're, something. We're working on the t-shirts. Cool. Yeah, Gravitor was the first reject in the uh software uh oh. it's gonna be like the uh, Yellowstone show. We're all gonna get branded on the top here, I'm afraid. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you're seeing my Ouch. screen or not, but there here's our website um as of today. Next year's the oh okay. That's I was like, oh, <laughs> so is it's that, actually showing the show at the same time. Is that coming that through? looks vaguely familiar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's like the Matrix. Few, you can go back and look at uh, like Game On, uh, op- all the different shows that have played and previous episodes. Working on uh, our community, all the different links that are kind of community based. We will have a few more things on here, um, like an about us that has a little more history, and then some of the LLC stuff. But anyway, that's uh, at thecoconation.com. Nice. Cool. cool. All right. Um, Grant. You, you All have right. Some... I'll bring up some information here for the uh, Glen side for uh, Coco Fest. So uh, just want to let everybody know that uh, if you are looking to get a table, I would probably get one sooner than later. Uh, out of the 49 tables, there's only 17 left. So uh, don't waste your time. Get up, get, get those tables reserved now. So also, I want to announce that uh, Retro Rewind gave uh, Coco Fest and uh, Glenside a uh, $500 sponsorship. So I want to thank them uh, publicly. Uh, Frank. Uh, Gave that donation on uh, behalf of the uh, Retro Rewind, which is his company. Also, I'll be announcing that uh, Frank will also be the keynote speaker on Saturday. So uh, he's got some uh, good information. He's a great speaker and uh, has a great story to tell. So we'll be looking forward to that as well. Um, 
also, I'm looking for uh, doing requests for presentations. So uh, if you're looking to give a presentation at this year's Cocoa Fest, uh, just reach out to me at uh, CocoaFest at GlensideCCC.com, <coughs> or you can find me also on the uh, Discord as well. And the other one last thing I had here is uh, the uh, T-shirts for Cocoa Fest have now been put up on the uh, spread shirts or spread shop. I'm sorry. Uh, let me uh, share my screen here really quick. Wow, that was quick. All right, there we go. So this is the uh, T-shirt shop here that uh, we have. So, and I will share this in the uh, chat, but yeah, you got just like, kind of like it was for uh, the other t-shirt shops that we used to have. You can pick all sorts of different things. Uh, there's different products. You can also get uh, hats if you want to, um, mugs, hoodies, tote bags. So uh, right now we have the uh, one in here from Close Encounters that Salvador did. will be all, as soon as the uh, one from Ron is approved, uh, his will also be in there. So we have two different types of t-shirts this year's for the 31st annual Cocoa Fest. So, all right. And that is all the announcements that I have, unless anybody has any questions or anything. You can pencil Ken and I in for a, a presentation at Cocoa Fest, a seminar. We just haven't figured out what it's going to be on yet. <laughs> no problem. And not Are first thing Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking <laughs> first thing Saturday morning and then at seven o'clock, right? Uh, no, that's the keynote. Remember? <clears throat> yeah. So he'll be speaking at breakfast, is what you're saying. <laughs> <clears throat> I was yeah. thinking of doing a um, WeFax show, you know, and uh, <laughs> but I'm not sure I can hold everybody in the room because it'll be fascinating. I don't think we have enough liquor for that. <laughs> so, so you gonna do a, a live download? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, a hey, live download. Grant, well, I, I think it. I need to get an advanced copy of that uh, shirt. I'll put it on. I'll drive about three hours from my house to Devil's Tower, hold up a Coco 3 right to the – look like it's on top of the Devil's Tower. How's that sound? <laughs> that works. <laughs> Bring That's some cool. mashed potatoes and a yeah, fork. Mashed, in there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the uh, the URL for the uh, Glenside CCC's uh, spread shirt shop is uh, in the uh, – uh, links over there for in the uh, chat. So I posted them there a couple times as well. Are they on the Glenside page as well? Uh, not yet. I'm going to make a formal uh, post probably later today. So they'll, it'll be up there shortly as well. Awesome. Cool. All right. That's all I had. Okay. Let's see. Brian Weasler. There you are. Uh, what you got for got, us today? He's got to pull up a semi truck first, doesn't he? <laughs> no, not 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 today. Just a small box. I'll rejoin you from the loading dock. And, uh... <laughs> no, just kind of a bit of a an update from a, a previous uh, project that I or not uh, acquisition I showed. Um, you guys saw this here cartridge that I did. It was the the, the Hamsoft uh, by Kentronics. Um, it's a cartridge that goes into the cocoa and it has this uh, connector on it, this little five pin connector. And if you read the manual, um, this cartridge was designed to work with an interface and, um, 
took a little while, a little bit of patience, but I finally did find one. Um, and it refers to it as called the interface. And um, what it's designed to do is the uh, the cartridge plugs into the back of this. And then through either these ports or this port, you would connect it to your ham radio and allows you, then would allow you to do like Morse code and, and um, RTTY type communication through it. So at the time that this, these two were kind of a, uh, a pair. Um, the one thing I didn't get a chance to do when I was showing this cartridge that I'd like to do for you guys um, is to see the menu on this, just to, in case anybody was kind of curious about it. Are you a ham operator yourself? Not yet. I do want to get my license, at least get my technician's license so I can do do some. It's always been something I've wanted to do, but uh, never been able to do. Or You're just had another time. SWL. <laughs> anyway. Let's see. Let me switch my video here for you guys. Yeah, I have one of those cartridges. I've never plugged it in. So <laughs> here you go. Is this coming up on the screen here? Yep. <clears throat> it is. Yep. So this is what the menu looks like here. I haven't really done a whole lot with it yet. I just wanted to kind of show. Um, but you can see it's all kind of a menu-driven program uh, that you would go in here. And uh, so what I want to do is I'm going to work with a friend of mine who is a ham operator, and uh, he's going to help me get a small radio hooked up to this thing. And maybe we can see some uh, Morse code uh, coming across the, the screen as people are uh, messaging each other. So that might be kind of a a fun little thing just to kind of sit there and watch and see what people are chatting and stuff. So has the round from that been dumped? No, not yet. I do. Uh, I, I do. I, I did dig it out uh, my, uh, my reader. And so that's, uh, I'm going to be doing that here while I have it, uh, have it here with me. I'll be, uh, I'll be pulling that ROM and dumping it. And I'll take some pictures of the inside of the cartridge as well. Sweet. Cause it doesn't look like anything that's would be terribly difficult to be duplicated probably. Well, it's kind of neat, too, because um, recently I ran across that my Cantronics TNC has basically the same process microcontroller as a um, MC10. And okay. they have uh, they have interfaces where they use 6809s. So I'd like to find some more of that. So it looks like, you know, Cantronics was uh, fairly friendly with the Cocoa world. Mm -hmm. back in the day so that's cool so it's nice to see more of it too thank you for showing them yeah now how does that um unit that you got hook up into a uh uh short radio? radio yeah so there's a couple different ways that you would do that one to be through this through this uh this year which i think might have been like a universal type of interface to some radios in my that's like a, that's like a four pin mic jack that my was connect really popular to back talk in the to day your, to keep right. okay but then also through these ports here, because these ports here have your headphone, your mic, and your, um, uh, what am I looking for here? Your uh, PTT, so your, your push to talk. So through this here, it would uh, your push to talk would be like when you press the button on the mic to talk. Does they have to be mm -hmm. powered? Yes. Yep, there's a power jack right here. Mm -hmm. So it would go in between your mic and the radio. Between well, the computer between the computer yeah. and the radio in this situation here. And the audio, because I saw it has an RTTY option, which is going to use the audio channels to send teletype over the radio. So that's a nice box. That's, that's yeah, so there was uh, the interface, and then there was also the interface 2, Roman numeral 2. What's I haven't those seen switches them. say? 
Uh, this, this is just a power button, and then um, switches between CW and RTTY. Okay. And for those not familiar with ham terminology, what what are those two things? Um, I'll lean on some of my ham friends out there. Okay. We, I can I, I can I can feel radio the, teletype. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or CW code. would be continuous wave, which would be Morse code. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So if that's ham, is it spiral cut? <laughs> no, I, no, it's it's honey glazed. Depends on the antenna <laughs> polarization. <laughs> if I'm not careful, it'll turn into spam. So anyway, <laughs> do you have more? Yep, I have. I have another thing that I'd like to share with you guys. Um, got quite a bit of activity on Facebook with this one here. Um, I saw this listing. Let me uh, let me take one little step back here. So I saw this listing here for this color computer too. Nothing, nothing really fancy, just a regular 3134 color computer two. And the price wasn't that bad. I just, you know, like a lot of them, I just kind of click through the pictures. It's and, a TV, not a radio shack, I see. Yep. And uh so I was clicking through the pictures to look at the color computer two and this. Oops, here we are. This was in the um uh, was in the pictures. It wasn't listed in the listing. And so it kind of intrigued me. It had this little plug. It's like, well, what is this thing? And I was trying to figure out because the screw was uh, blocking the view. And so in the description, they refer to it as high tech, H-I and then tech, um, electronic sign company. And so uh, it had a buy now feature on it. So I went ahead and bought it and it came here and it, it had some pictures. It says it's part of the labels missing, it says power pack, school 16. Started doing some Googling, and I did find references to the company. And when I posted pictures out on Facebook, uh, quite a few people went ahead and did some digging, too, and found um, some additional information. I, I don't remember who all found some stuff, but uh, some people did point to me some different directions. And uh, by looking at what uh, what this is and doing some reading online, um, what I'm guessing is that this cartridge was sold by a sign company. And through this cable here, and it also came with this coiled up cable. You, you guys have seen these before. A lot of times they're with like microphones or headphones and stuff. Um, what, I'm, what I'm gathering this thing was designed for is that this cartridge went into the color computer and the color computer was basically your keyboard. And this would plug into a digital sign and you could type a message in and then it would display that across the sign. So I'm guessing this company here probably sold this as a package where they would sell a customer a digital sign with a with the with this cartridge and a color computer. So it probably wasn't anything that we would see out there on the retail market, meaning as a color computer user back in the day. It was kind of where they grabbed the color computer and <laughs> and made this interface to to work with it. Um Inside this uh, interface here is a uh, is a ROM, and I pull I dump the ROM and I I have it. I, I've shared it with uh, with one person, and him and I are kind of taking a look at it a little bit to try to figure out um, what is going on uh, with this cartridge. Um, he's thinking it might be like some serial. It's just sending like serial data. Yeah. Um, to the cake. To to the cartridge, but uh, let me go ahead and do this here real quick. Let me fire this up real quick, and you guys can kind of see what what it looks like. Uh, where's the, 
Unfortunately, this Color Computer 3 that I had this thing hooked up to, the power button is broken, so I have to use a pencil to power it on here. Let me switch my screen here real quick, guys. There we go. So this is what the, the ROM looks like when it comes up. And uh, let's see when my when the uh, that SCART box there disappears. Um, you'll be able to see the bottom here. There we go. So it's really not a blinking cursor, but you can see here when I start typing, um, it just it can it can send uh, I'm getting messages here popping up. Sorry, guys. Oh, oh I can't type. Must have a size limit to fit the sign width or something. There we go. But what's kind of interesting, though, is I can actually kind of, uh, if I can go back over this thing here, you can actually kind of like back type over the whole thing. So I, I haven't figured out all what's going on here. Um, when I looked at the ROM and I looked inside of a hex editor, um, I do see references like football statements, like uh, touchdown and go team and some other things like that. So I don't know if this had some built-in stuff, meaning if I was to hold a key and hit a button, it would maybe um, dump out some, some canned messages or something. I uh, haven't totally figured that out yet. So more to uh, more to come, but uh, I certainly would like to understand this. And maybe maybe I might even be lucky enough and find some old sign out there that this might be able to plug into and uh might actually be able to make this thing work again now maybe that uh worked a uh, scoreboard for uh yeah, it does say like school a, yep, right that, yep that yeah. was one of the that was one of the thoughts i had as well like it was a part of a scoreboard system right. and uh if the scoreboard had like a message thing on it or something like that you could uh um you could display things up on there so or or maybe you could program a marquee for a movie theater i don't know yeah, yeah, that's a good. Yep, yeah, that's a good idea too. Yeah, I'll have I to think, see if I can get Bill Noble on because he actually did a programming for an LED sign company, and you know, in our local province here back in the early '90s with the Coco Three as well. So he's had some experience in this, so it'd be interesting to maybe have him take a look and maybe disassemble the ROM and figure out exactly what it's doing, and maybe figure out what kind of a sign it needs to hook up to. Because it I, is I, true that three wire serial was common as dirt, so it would okay. make perfect yeah. sense. This is a bit banger serial port that talks to a sign. Yeah, I'd Bank have to scope on that and see what kind of signals coming out of it. Right. Back I, do in got the one, day. I do got one thing I want to show you guys, though, that I thought was kind of interesting, and I don't know if my screen's going to capture it fast enough, so I'll I'll try here. When I hit the break key, it dumps out as if it's in a basic program. So let me show you that if it does it real quick, because what it does is you'll see it'll say, like, you know, ending on whatever line it happens to be on. And if I type anything, like let's say list to list the basic program, it resets itself here. So watch this here. So you can see how it says break and it looks like I'm back in basic, right? But if I type in like list, it does, it dumps like this and goes like almost like you did a reset and it goes back to uh, you are in basic. And what's happening is it's hitting an error and they've got it set for the error to trigger reset. Okay. Do, do list dash 40. <laughs> Right, something like that. Try to skip past the start of the program and see if you yeah, can... list list eleven dash or something. No, list dash forty. Well, at this no, point, that'll still be, list. At this point, it'll be wiped out anyway. Oh yeah, yeah you, you have, have to reboot it first and then try it. Yeah. After you run the unit, after you have to do, yeah. Yeah, forty to forty dash or whatever, like Chris said, okay. maybe you'll skip that first line. That's garbage. That's probably a machine language program. Hope for basic should be. <laughs> 
Okay, let's hear. Wait for this to, my little yeah. scart source there to disappear so we can see what's going on. Just yeah, that would be funny if this is actually a basic program that's been encoded to just sit in the ROM bag. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, let's see here. So, okay, so list. What were you guys saying? Dash 40? Dash 40. No, some number. No, some, some number past 10 because 10's where it's How crashing. About 320. Oh, we know that's a line number. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's trapping it on anything. Anything okay. is going to blow. I wonder if there'd be a way to find out who owned that business, that high tech sign um, company. One of the person, um, I think Mark was it you, Marco? Did you? I think you commented, or somebody put a post out there that they found a business listing and the person's name. Oh, and cool. and yeah. I did. I, I wasn't thinking Florida, about maybe so. per, about pursuing that. Yeah, it was in Florida in Clearwater. Search, search the Secretary of State. Yep. yep. Florida and it should should have a business listing. Yep. The or business uh, it does it does say that the business is no longer in operation. Um so but maybe the person might uh, might have something that he that uh, he could share. Clearwater is kind of far from Largo, isn't it? Yeah. It so is. It's possibly moved also. It could be the back, back in uh 79 or 80 must have been 80. Um, <clears throat> my dad had a son and I had a sign shop and we had this guy stop by in a large van and he had a, uh, a changeable copy sign on the roof of the van. It was maybe four foot tall and as long as the van and it was a maxi van. And inside <clears throat> there was a, a, a desk and on the desk was a model three, um, Tandy computer. And, um, <clears throat> he ran the sign with the computer and he sold my uh, dad on, on trying to, um, you know, replicate that in, in, in signage around town. So my dad was able to um, make a model of a sign for uh, uh, Toledo Express Airport back at that time. And uh, you know how airports sometimes have the uh, signage with uh, scrolling text you know, below it, it would say, you know, um, a Toledo Express Airport, and then underneath it would say, uh, "Your flight is canceled." Yeah, <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> weather were closed, whatever. So, <clears throat> but um, it was run on the um, Model Three, and I remember seeing it at the time. And this was when you know I used to press my nose on the Radio Shack uh, window, looking at. Uh, these different computers sitting there, you know, and I had no idea how to work them, but, um, he, uh, uh, wrote up a, a quote for the airport, but we lost the job. We didn't get it. Um, but it was interesting. He made a little model of the uh, sign showing the lights lit and stuff. And, um, the idea was to have the, um, it back then it was wired. It would go from from the uh, sign all the way into a uh, control building, but that's all I have to say about that. But it was pretty interesting back in the day. And I do have to correct myself because I was thinking Key Largo, but Largo, Florida, is just south of Clearwater, not oh, even that far. So probably a good chance that that might be a good contact. Oh, 16K standard basic. So. Yeah, I didn't know if this was uh, unusual or not. I saw that this here didn't have it didn't have a regular ROM in it. Um, and when I boot this thing up, um, I don't have a way of interfacing. But this is the color computer too that came with it. 
instead of saying like Tandy or, you know, the normal ROM message that we see, this just, it just says color basic 1.0. Yeah, it's normal for. A, is, is that, not, is that normal? Okay, I was trying to remember. I couldn't, I was drawing a blank not, there if that was the normal thing. So non-extended basic. Okay. Yeah. See that, that specific model of Coco, you had to replace the ROM, the entire ROM to get both color basic and extended color basic. And then you had to switch the jumpers to say uh, which ROM you was using. Uh, okay. But that one would be, I believe if I remember correctly, it should be a 27C128 that needs to be used in okay. that. If I remember right, because that so should I, be a 16K ROM. Did you do all the jumpers? Now? Yes, with extended basic, that would be a set a twenty seven one twenty eight with uh, just color basic. It would be twenty seven sixty four, which is yeah. probably what's in there. It's, it's it's actually not using all the pins. So I'm guessing this is just a twenty seven sixty four, correct? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's Did why the jumper said sixty four and one twenty eight. Yeah. Did you do a print, ma'am? No, I, I just turned it on just to make sure that it worked, and that's all I did. I, I just I saw this, and for a moment there, it kind of made me pause. Like maybe they might have also put a special ROM in. Um, so possible. To, that, that you know to make it more compatible with the uh, uh, with the ROM cartridge. So um, uh, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. There's uh, there's two chips between the uh, the white connectors. That's your RAM. Yeah, that that's your RAM. What what what, does it what say numbers on? do they have? The like forty four sixteen, sir. That is correct. Uh, well, forty one. Uh, yeah, fourteen sixteen dash twelve. Yeah. That's, well, if it's got standard basic, it's going to have sixteen K. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But since the cartridge already has a ROM on it, there really wouldn't be any point in putting another ROM in the cocoa. You would just put everything on your cartridge ROM that you needed. And and the nice thing about this <coughs> model of cocoa is that you can use uh, the SRAM upgrade board that uh, Pedro did, and you could uh, pull out those two RAM chips and put that upgrade board in. And replace that ROM on there, and you could upgrade it to a full 64K. Or you could just pull two 4464s out of a Coco 3, 128K, and just put them in there, too. Yeah, but SRAM is so cooler. <laughs> hey, are most of those chips socketed? Did you notice? Uh, just the... Um, CPU and the, uh, the, the video. The, Yep. And well, the, um, yeah, the, the, uh, the 74, uh, 785 and the, uh, 806052. So yeah, your, your video and the, um, is this the PIA? No, that's the SAM. The SAM. Yeah. Okay. The, yep. the SAM is usually always socketed. The VDG is always socketed. Mm hmm. The ROM, of course, was socketed because you'd have to upgrade. But yeah, Candy was getting to the point with those those Coco twos that they were soldering everything else to the board. And you can see here the board isn't uh, it's, it's not complicated. There's a lot of extra <laughs> ports on this thing here, but really it just has this ROM right here and a uh, a seventy four. LS374, uh, which I think some people were saying was some kind of a flip-flop or something. Or it's a, a latch. Yeah, so if it latch. writes something, it will hold whatever it wrote until you change it. Okay. 
And then it has these two LEDs here. And when you're typing on the keyboard, this green LED does kind of flash every time you hit a keystroke. Yeah, so it, it's so. a bit banging the, the serial data out. Right. Which saves yeah. a ton of money. You don't have to make a controller interface or anything. Just get a cheap Coco and plug this thing in there. Oops, trying to get this thing to focus here, if it will. I can, I need to improve my camera this year, guys. But uh, anyway, uh, it just about starts to focus, and then it kind of comes out of focus here. Try, try putting your hand behind it. That's what Taylor named me doing. It usually clears up the camera. Okay, maybe not in your Do case. that with a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, two. Um, yeah. it does say high-tech electronics, uh, 1986, Coco, uh, Coco 2.0, and then there's a date of 325.85. Cluttered it with a pencil too. Move it away from the white. Yeah. Actually, if you angle it slightly, it seems to pick it up better. I don't yeah. Know. yeah like move, move the white folder out of the way. The way you had it while you were reading was like perfect. Oh, okay. For some reason, it just yeah, right there. 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 <laughs> there. <laughs> anyway, so I just thought that was interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna keep uh, keep working on this and uh, work with uh, work with the other guy here to uh, see what we can uh, come up with, and uh, yeah, maybe I might even be able to get a. Oops, didn't mean to do that. Sorry. Ah, clicking on the wrong button here. Sorry. There we are. There we are. So yeah, no, I thought that that was kind of a kind of interesting little find there with this one here. I wasn't expecting to see that. So. Maybe we can get some kind of a digital sign going at Coco Fest. Right. And cool. <laughs> funny that you say that because I posted that in the uh, the feed. But that oh, would be an interesting oh, okay. thing for you to for <laughs> you to find back. a working sign and bring it to Coco Fest oh, I think and I have that, that demoing. Yeah. yeah, I think I did see that. That was okay. that'd be cool. Yep. Any idea how big that sign would be? No. No, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep 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 digging here. There might be an old sign out there, maybe something on eBay or whatever that might uh, might work with it. But uh, I'll need to get some more information going here first. But uh, yeah, or cool. at least or at least something that could be used to maybe reproduce it with a smaller LED based one. Because if it was for one of those scoreboards, those would be what <laughs> ten <laughs> feet by twenty feet or something like that. So yeah. right. If it's we'll like just a ask the hotel movie. if we can mount it outside and say Coco Fest here. There you go. Because <laughs> yeah, I have a uh, LED array. It's like uh, I think sixty four by thirty two, and having it uh, connect to that and display on that would be a cool little thing. And it's it's only about like eight ten inches wide by about four or five inches tall. And as Alan mentioned in the chat here too, uh, Rick Adams had that LED sign he hooked up to the Coco as well. So there's another alternative there too. Right. Yep. Yeah. Once I understand the type of data that it's sending, um, that, then we can certainly go from there. Cool. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Let's see. Patrick, you had something. Oh, yeah. Just a quick public service announcement. If you can highlight me for a second. Um, ordered in some parts this week and, uh, Surface mount parts are always smaller than, you know, dip chips. But I was expecting maybe a quarter inch smaller. Um, when you're ordering parts, the decimal point is important. I got these resistor packs in. And uh, <laughs> I don't know like if you this. can get the exact scale, but there's the part I got. I was expecting it to be about the quarter of the size of this. Well, I guess here's a clear, clear 
picture, and it's a little smaller than a quarter of the size. So, <laughs> God, that's decimal points are important. <laughs> Yikes. Decimal points are important. So anyway, that was my <laughs> public service update of the week. Don't, don't <laughs> sneeze. Yeah, I may have lost a few already. You're going to have to get a pretty fine pointed soldering iron to solder those things, I think. So, yeah, right. <laughs> or, or a really good frying pan like I've had to do. Right. Frank mm-hmm. right, uh, Linares in the chat is saying uh, regarding Brian's board there, he says you could do use an Arduino to translate the serial into something like SPI or I2C as well. So, yeah. I've got an electronics hot plate for soldering them. And a soldering iron. Right, right. But see, that looks like a resistor, and that's actually four. <laughs> yeah, it's a pack, yeah. But it's it's the size of a single SMT resistor normally. And uh, you know, it's a little a little more than I was buying it for. Uh, at least it's not a 402. Well, four, it's, four a, it's, a, it's a 604 by four. <laughs> yeah, 402s are uh, commonly called uh, grains of pepper. Yep, yep. Well, then you have what a two hundred one. If it was cut into four individuals, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah, if you want something that's half the size of an 0402, go ahead and get yourself an O two hundred one, and that's like smaller than fly poop. Yeah, that would be a quarter of this thing, which is four of them stuck together. Yeah, that would be that's fun. Anyway, when they get that small, they're not components; they're just textured surface. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. Uh, who's up next? Paul. Hey. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Okay. My, nope. <laughs> my square wasn't turning green when I was making noise. So uh, I'm going to just share my screen here. I just, uh, I started working on a, a couple of uh, projects after I finished Cocoa Bond. Um, I took a little break for a little while. I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. Um, for a long time, I've had a um, kind of game making interface um, IDE type of thing ran on the cocoa for the cocoa in my head for a long time, which is actually like kind of the reason I've done everything I've done in the past. Um, and then also, I started to revisit Buff Commando, but um, from a different, uh, I, I kind of changed up what I wanted to do with it. The 128 by 112 pixel ratio screen kind of is my thing. It's my jam. So um, that's what I am going to continue to do with my next couple projects. So started making a Coco 3 game maker. Um, It's influenced by a few different type of uh, similar software. So it's kind of got an interface like the Pico 8 virtual um, console by Lexalafel um, Gaming, um, which I think is actually just a sole programmer that goes by the name of Zep. Um, so in that interface, you have a couple of different or a few different modules that you can click on at the top of the screen, kind of like uh, what you guys can see here. Um, but in that, that um, particular platform, you actually have to like type all of the program like you would in basic. Uh, my plan was like a have a lot of the built-in libraries already and have a drag and drop interface for um, <clears throat> functionality and whatnot, um, along with the ability to write custom scripts. So if you wanted to get started from the beginning, you can just 
you know, make, create your assets and whatever else that you need for the game. Um, but then the actual programming of the game, make, making the game work would be a uh, drag and drop type of interface. <clears throat> so you can get going quicker, basically, um, and advance from there. So that was the title screen there that comes up. Um, there's going to be like a project setting screen. I haven't quite figured everything out yet, but um, this is kind of where you start. You name your project and whatever else, kind of some details on that. The target output platform, um, as far as RAM goes and what kind of support you're going to have. Um, then there's like a frame editor. So 128 eight by eight sprites. Um, well, frames would be available. So you'd write, you'd, draw all of your frames for whatever you want to do. Um, and then a sprite interface where you would basically be able to see all those same frames that you created. And then up here on the left in the grid, you would put those frames in there, set how many frames per second you have, be able to watch it, things like that. Um, and then this was the object interface that I came up, came up with. Um, over here on the left, you have different events that would happen in a game cycle. Um, the details down below there are kind of like a description of the object number, the sprite it's attached to, if it's apparent, which layer you want it to draw on, visible, solid. And then on the right side are the drag and drop functions. You would uh, So you choose an event, right? Uh, the first one on the left kind of looks like an exclamation point is really a light bulb. Um, that's a creation. So like when the, when the object is created. Um, from the functions list on the right, you would drag in different uh, uh, actions into the center, and then those would be executed in that order. <clears throat> um, and then the only other one that I've made is a, so like a background. So this is basically just a graphics editor like Coco Max would be. You would just draw on the screen and create backgrounds for your game. Haven't quite figured out how many of those you'd be allowed to have, um, but also I wanted to have the ability for you to import uh, 128 by 112 bitmaps from a PC or from your Coco or whatever, and also export those. So that's something that I'm kind of working on long-term. Um, and some of the games that I've made in the last few years have been kind of working up towards that. Um, and then my primary project right now, I'm going to switch screens for you. I think I can do that, right? Yeah, I certainly can. Is uh, Buff Commando. So kind of took a relook at that game and wanted to create a beat-em-up turns run and gun type of thing. So my son and I came up with a little bit more of a concrete story, um, decided to try and make sprites and backgrounds based on what would be capable of doing in the game maker. Um so kind of took my 16 by 16 buff commando sprites, put them down in eight by eight. And I've started working on some of the stuff here. So here's the sprite sheet of the characters for the first three scenes. And I used Paul Fisk Reality's uh, sprite compiler to compile these. It's like 30K of compiled graphics. So that's fun. That's going to be interesting to learn how to manage that. Um, and then scene one, I have mapped out for the most part. This is kind of the perspective that the, the game is going to be played at. Um, in the first scene here, you're going through, it starts at your apartment over there on the left in that blue building, and then you end up in a hotel and things escalate from there. 
so yeah, I'm working on those and, um, you know, the mad lab group, which is Simon, myself and, uh, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul and, and Simon are working on some four voice, uh, sound playback for music and getting sound effects to go with that. So we plan on having some of that here featured in this game and some others that are in the works by more members than just myself. So there's an update from me. Don't know if anybody's got any questions or anything, but looks really cool. I have to say I did kind of want to see, I was, I didn't want to, I wanted to have joystick control for buff commando, but, um, I need like a, I need three buttons. <laughs> so, so I was trying to, I was getting a hold of Rick Eulin and some other people to see what we could do for like a custom controller. I don't know, you know, if people would want to buy a custom controller just to play one video game. Uh, the video game would be released just like I did with Coco Bond, kind of name your own price, including free. Um, so I was coming up with a keyboard layout for the color computer three. And I don't, this is what I came up with. I don't know if people would think that would be good for play or not, but I'm looking for maybe some feedback on that or how marketable it actually is to have some sort of either an adapter for, you know, like a modern PC joystick to go onto your um, cocoa that would be sold or to have, um, yeah, it would be some sort of adapter or something, something like a custom controller itself. So Yeah, the only thing I can think of is if you did like a come guy type thing where you have each individual button do one thing, but if you hit both at once, it counts as a third. Yeah, and I thought about that, but I don't like that on the uh, deluxe joystick setup. Like you'd have to use your thumb and your index finger on your left hand. It's just kind of harder, right? With a controller, like like a four button controller, if you have to do that, they're all like right there so you can use your thumb to press two key uh buttons at the same time so now david craker oh, in the chat yeah. mentions a sega genesis controller please uh neil blanchard has an adapter yep. ready, ready is that something you i talked to them about that too um i was looking for something that was kind of like maybe gonna where i could still program the joystick like normal is kind of the goal if i can I'll, make, <laughs> I can make um, one comment. hey rick rick first then david <laughs> Okay, sorry. Um, messing with Coco keyboards a lot. The jump, the uh, space bar doesn't like being hit off center energetically, mm. which might make it not very good for a for a jump button, game, a game button. Yeah, that you might whack after. Well, shift is right there. That could be used. Right. It's just it's a, the the button's so far off center from the two edges of the space bar that it's kind of stressful yeah that that's a good point thanks rick because i was thinking thumb on the space bar right so on the left side of it so that that would not work so <laughs> okay david what was your comment uh coco psg and a sega sega genesis controller yep i thought about that too gotta have some certain adapters to program for it i'm trying to make it easy on my self to uh yeah, the other this. problem is is that i don't think you can get coco psgs right now can you no so i was thinking I, something that would have like a y cable so you plug your the joystick plugs into both ports and then i can basically just tap into the, the um, buttons the extra buttons of the second controller that's kind of what my thought process was a d-pad would be optional to that you know i would prefer a d-pad for a type of game like this but a small analog joystick would also work 
So I, I have but a, then you, you have to keep it keyboard so that when it goes to MC ten, you can still use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> but Bart, you had a question or comment as well? Yeah. Uh, you know, I just I, I feel like if if you want this thing to be really successful, then I mean, what does the kick button do that the punch button doesn't do? I mean, is the kick absolutely essential to the game? Well, have you played like Double Dragon? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean yes, it's basically it is. two different types of attack. Right. It's two different types of attack. Yeah. And one has I, I an just, advantage. I just wonder if 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 working that that second because I mean if you if you just deleted that it would solve all of your problems because a two button thing is easily doable with a deluxe joystick and you don't have to do the weird thing because I agree the double button press on a deluxe joystick is no good. Um, I understand that you want to have a double dragon esque thing, but um, I just wonder you know is it is it worth it at the end of the day if you want to branch into the controller type scheme. Right. Well, that's why I was thinking I would just go straight keyboard instead of even using the controller at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is this just going to be a one player game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I think I, I think I. If you could use a Sega Joypad or something, I think there may be a, a simple way if um, if you could wire if you could wire up like a, a Joypad to Coco adapter, but just uh, to keep costs down, just use one of the joystick button connectors for that third button on the other port if it's only going to be used for one for one player i mean that is diving into the custom area a little bit but uh i think that would be something to be pretty cheap. yeah i think that well the genesis adapt genesis adapter is not that much is it that they already have from neil blanchard and i don't or, know how much that costs or how that works doesn't it use like the serial port or something it does it's serial port, port. yeah yeah i was you just can, thinking if you were looking to try to program it like a regular joystick Yep. Or you could flip your thinking around where the button is for motion and the joystick is for attacks. Then you have four possible attacks and a go button and a. And you're allowed to do the two directions, though. That's the problem. It, well, a couple of thoughts that I have is I, Neil Blanchard, I think, makes custom joysticks. Maybe he can uh, make one that has an extra button on it or something. I don't know. But and then would have to plug into both joystick ports. Um, but another thought I had is, if you use a pistol grip joystick, then you could access both buttons and control it with one hand, and then that's true. With your other hand, you could, you know, hit a key on the keyboard to kick or something like that. It depends on how common people can get pistol grip joysticks, though. I guess is the, yeah. the problem. Well, the jump would be the jump feature would be um, both buttons. That's kind of like how Double Dragon and a few other uh, beat 'em ups play that I've uh, played for kind of research on this. Um, so, hmm. I like this. Very research. good suggestions. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> you got to play games to figure out what you want to do with your own. Unless you add, <laughs> I'll add the third button that just shorts the uh, two buttons together. Simulate pressing the two buttons together with a third button. Mm, that's kind of smart. And you know that the thing is, if you create a joystick that is used for your game, that will encourage more people to program two or three button games in the future because uh, there'll already be a peripheral that is inclined to that. Right. Just expense. I want to keep that to a minimum. Well, that's the the thing about the Sega adapters that they are out there and reasonably easy to get. So. 
whether that's the only control mechanism or not, it could be an option. Right. So I would encourage people that do have that to at least have the choice. Because I'd yeah. like to see that too, either through the Coco PSG or through the joystick ports using um, John and Neil's adapter. And the Sega controllers are currently, you can buy them on Amazon, and there's brand new ones that are licensed from Sega. So you can get new Sega Genesis style controllers. So, right. I, you know, my thing is those, I really love the, uh, so the original Gravis gamepad, like the Super Nintendo controller. I just love the way that feels in the hand. But yeah, I have plenty of Sega Genesis adapter, uh, uh, controllers and i they're everywhere even like ones that aren't officially licensed so yeah food for thought i think i just didn't want to bother you know learning how to program it but well it's probably not even that hard (laughs) mcdonald's has gone all the way down that road and has figured out everything there is to know about i talked to him yeah yeah i talked to him and neil so and and i mentioned something to rick about what i wanted to do and Paul Fiscarelli. So we'll figure out something. I'm just yeah. brainstorming just right ideas now. at this point. Yep. Cause I appreciate everybody's uh, input on that and suggestions. I'm loving it. That's all I had. So. Well, the graphics look really good, especially when you're, you're considering that you're compressing them down to eight by eight sprites. It, it still looks like the scenery and stuff in your backgrounds look really good. I'll have yeah. to see the actual animations of the characters here, but it looks like, they would probably look pretty darn good too, kind of like can, your little bouncing guy in Kokobon. I can test out the animations and some of the tools I have, and so far it looks pretty good to me. Um, I'm trying to rope in Erico on it too, and um, we are going to work on it together. But he's like very limited on time right now. So, but uh, yeah, he's got very good um, graphical uh, instincts, yeah. so to speak. So. <laughs> Yep. The complete opposite of me. Hey, maybe he could <laughs> use your game maker to do the outhouse on a cocoa. <laughs> that's <laughs> so I'm hoping somebody will use it for that's the other thing too, is I wanted to, you know, announce that kind of on the show too to kind of get a feel for people who would actually think they would use it, you know. Um, because we had a discussion on Discord about it one night, and that's kind of where I'm at is in debate on whether people would actually use it or not. Um I'm trying to make it different from things that we've seen before, you know, with the drag and drop so that you can basically build a game with limited knowledge on even being able to program. That's kind of the goal. Um, like and I said, it's inspired by Pike 08 and uh game maker by Mark Overholzer, Pike or not Mark Overholzer, <laughs> over Mars, Mark over Mars. Um, Pico eight, you actually have to type in programming game maker is a dra- drag and drop type of software with scripting kind of like this would be so. and cool. uh, now you know why he wants you to build levels in coco bond so he wants <laughs> to see how many people are going to engage with the game right. i also want to i also want to try and beat people's levels <laughs> like buck owens did three and i had them and i can't beat the second one for my life um so <laughs> It'd be pretty. It'd be pretty nice to, uh, I guess, get some of the torture thrown back my way of trying to beat Coco Bond levels. So, yeah, if anybody is making them, that's karma. Just send them right to me. (laughs) Yep, I am very intrigued to play them, and I appreciate everyone so far who's picked up the game. 
in any form. And I hope that you are enjoying it because that was the goal. So, yeah. So, John opted to pay. I do enjoy it. It's a, a great game, man. Yeah. Thank you. For John, it. you guys are doing a, a, an episode on that coming up soon, aren't you? That's right. Uh, it will be pushed back a week. We are going to be recording it uh, the week. Uh, we're going to be recording it on January 20th for release on January 23rd. Oh, cool. I remember hearing that announcements when I last watched your Coco show. Yeah. So I yeah, appreciate we're excited. that. We were supposed to do it next week, but next week I'll be in Ireland for Amiga Ireland. So yeah, he's slumming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to bring us all back souvenirs. Oh, everybody gets a pint of Guinness. Every member of the there. I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm there. <Sweet. laughs> all right. Hey, in the, in the uh, chat, uh, uh, Brian, back on your uh, little cartridge. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. Okay, go ahead. Um, yeah, so the, the person I was working with there was uh, was Mr. Dave 6309. And uh, he commented that in the uh, the bin file um, from the ROM dump that I did, if I was to change a couple, uh, a couple code characters, um, it does allow you to break out. And it is written in basic. Um, he has a couple uh, screenshots there um, in the um, uh, in the lobby there. Uh, on discord and so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah it is a basic program so i'll have to go and look at that and uh i'll i'll go and take my bin file and uh create a uh a new rom file or new rom and put it into uh <laughs> into my cartridge here and uh might give me a better opportunity to play around with it and see what's going on but it is in cool. basic yeah cool. so uh yep thanks dave uh mr dave all right uh, let's see. I think we have a bronze garage. Yep. Here's you the play the intro, intro or yep. Let's so find it there. Just, just, yeah. There you go. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. Let's see. I might have to. Uh, I think what I have to do is change my background so that uh, you can see one of my acquisitions was this 1990s oh, tape player. Uh, it's a uh, CTR. Ah. It's a realistic tape recorder, CTR-71, and it looks real close to uh, the... Um, Is it CTR-81? Yeah, CTR-81. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, on, uh, let's just go right into sharing screen. I can share? Yes. Okay. Oh, Ron is actually in a garage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he really has a garage. Yes, I do. <clears throat> and it's really stuck to the gills. Let's see. <clears throat> yep, there we see it. Okay. All right. Now um <clears throat> I gotta get my mouse over there. Um I wanted to show uh this is what uh Paul Barton had. Uh I gave him one of my cocos when I <laughs> first met him, 
and he opened it up and then he added the eight meg board on it and he had a um uh one of those um expanders it's not a uh uh mpi it's just a y cable yeah and he and he hooked up uh um a uh what do you call it a uh interface to a hard drive and he had a uh a um power supply hooked up to it over here and here's the speakers and i gave him a monitor and uh he had this eight mega megabytes hooked to his machine he also upgraded it to um 6309 and he made a a, a keyboard uh mechanical keyboard all of his own and um uh, worked great works great still have it here and i basically threw it together and put um the top back on it and a black cardboard on there so you can't see in it and there's the keyboard and it works great and uh i hate to kind of fire it up and play with it because i don't want to ruin it you know and he's not around to repair it anymore yeah so. yeah and then um if you guys ever uh <clears throat> come to my site go to to media and click on it and you can see in a quick review you can find out what it is i've been doing and all the different pictures and stuff. This is uh, a neat thing I put up um, back in the 90s. I used my DS69A to uh, take video of um, myself and different things and, you know, save it off to disk. And it was a whole lot of fun back in the day. And then um, what else did I want to show? Um, oh, this is what a sleeper looks like. It's a... Uh, 69 Dodge Charger with a um uh, uh what's the name of the engine in there? It's a Hemi, okay. okay. But uh it's a sleeper. And it's so okay. is my machine because this here um I got it uh showing an emulation of a MC10. <laughs> and it's got uh the 6309 and the Coco VGA and a different keyboard in a uh, TDP 100, which uh, everybody always says, love that TDB. <laughs> that TDP 100 is a dream. <laughs> I always get comments when I put it up. It's TDB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did some Santa stuff, and uh, uh, I did come up with a Cocoa Nation thing. Uh, I find these uh, colored... Um, uh, graphics really show up well on the cocoa and uh why wouldn't they their color you know and here's the comparison to the uh tape player this tape player is like brand new and <clears throat> i opened the battery compartment and they were filled with all, all that white stuff and the batteries were still in it Ooh. so i popped the batteries out yeah and uh looked at it and none of the uh <laughs> wiring you know on the edges were messed up or anything and um i cleaned it all out and i went over to actually i i brought the um machine up to the counter at uh, goodwill and i said look at the batteries ruined this thing can i get it cheaper and he goes no <laughs> so it was <laughs> it was five dollars and you know 5.99 or whatever it was and and so i just bought it the way it was but i knew the when I took the batteries out, it would be okay. And it, it, it works perfectly. Vinegar is your friend. Yeah. Yeah. Vinegar for the, for vinegar. the cells. And uh, oh. baking soda, I thought. 
mixture. No, you want you want just straight vinegar. The white stuff is alkaline already. So okay. you hit it with vinegar, it boils up and goes away. Oh, cool. Okay. Thank you. I might I might use that uh, tip myself. Uh, a couple of things that have suffered some corrosion. That's why yeah, I keep. So that's why I keep a bottle of uh, white vinegar in my tool case. Right. Yep. Which you can't see because he's got the screen share. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> Check this out. One last, one last uh, acquisition. It showed I'm up during. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I'm trying to get out of here. I can't see he's my trapped screen. in the garage. I can't see my screen. It's coming. Somebody hit the garage door opener. Yeah, you know what? Surely I should be able to rerun. Can you do uh, it for me? I'm trying to find a button to do it, and it <laughs> it's not here. I can't find the uh, top of the screen. Is that the yeah, top of the screen? Hmm. Uh, Ron? How's that? Okay, yeah, there we go. Thank you. I found it. All right, thank you, thank you. Jeez. <laughs> oh, All right, who had who had the the show? I was going to say during projects, updates, and acquisitions, this box showed up. Oh. <laughs> oh show man. us. Show so us. What is in that box, Rick? This box. Dreamco. Uh, mini part, probably slightly larger parts from the mini parts that I showed <laughs> Something bigger than a grain of salt. Right. Dreamco. Like old computer parts. Yeah, this this is my third third supplier. They have all kinds of weird things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we have all of my Jet new multi-pack. We have... Oh, man, these are IDC connectors. It's a little late for Christmas. <laughs> oh, so I have all of my dips. Well, I have a bunch of broken multi-packs. So. It's never too late for Christmas. Any fish with those chips? So how do you have broken multi-packs? How's that happen? Uh, because Connect used to do repacks and stuff, and I have a giant box of repair parts that I'm slowly working my way through. Unfortunately, most of them are small multi-packs with the wonder chip from Tandy that doesn't really exist. But I do have a few big ones. So No wonder I can't get a multi-pack. You have them all. I've, I've, got, <laughs> I've got two multi-packs that... Um, are very flaky, um, and so I don't use them anymore because I'm afraid they might like trash the cocoa or something. Um, you should bring them down to the fest then, Fred. Yeah, and I'm well, yeah, I'm bringing three cocos with me, and so I hope I have room for the multi multi packs. If I do, I'll bring them. <laughs> yeah, worry about that because one of the reasons I have these parts is my multi pack Paris fly said bang and uh, took out. The 6309, the data chip, everything in the multi-pack, the Coco SDC, and uh, I'm kind of hurting for parts right now. Yeah, that's that's what I'm afraid of. I I, I don't dare use those multi-packs because something like that I fear could happen. Yeah. Well, because the multi-pack power supply doesn't power any of the uh, interface chips. It's only powering the cartridges. Well, but I have this... had one where that that uh, the main pass transistor failed. Uh, right. no, it the, wouldn't the, regulate properly. The problem is I was using a switching supply, and when it went bang, it put Ooh, you know, 110 yeah. volts on the multi-pack, so any isolation that that did was out the window. Yeah. Uh, apparently, yeah. the 6309 was the 
the stopper of last resort that popped and everything. The other side of that was okay. <clears throat> wow. Okay. Let me All ask right. you guys, uh, when, when you have a, um, like a two meg board in your machine and then you have, uh, your 6309 with a, uh, don't they have like a buffer board that's under it? And is you can, that, yeah. All right. Well, doesn't that protect your processor from anything coming oh. in? Mm, if you have the buffer board. Well, okay, and depending on what you're protecting it from. Well, what do, did you have one on? I did, but when you're protecting it from 110 volts, oh, all right, that's not going to do yeah. it. <laughs> okay. So, or it could have been even higher. It was a switching supply. Who knows? It may have put a thousand yeah. volts on the rail when it said bang. Certainly got a lot of parts. If you could get a camera quick and take a picture of a smoking cocoa, that would be cool. <laughs> would have been good. <laughs> not cool. It's not cool. Okay. Would have been cool, but it would have made a nice video. Yeah. Okay, is that it? Never had a smoking cocoa. I did have a smoking laptop once. That was scary. We have a, a Model Three that the Reefa chip went, and uh, and it you know had curlies of smoke coming out the, <laughs> the drives <laughs> and <laughs> the vents. Wow. Um, is that it for acquisitions and updates? Sounds like it. Okay. Unless you want me to talk about this board. Well, actually, David Ladd talk about the board while I show it. Oh, are you talking about the uh, the serial uh, USB um, one? Yes. All right. So, um, okay, so highlight I, Swoopy and let David talk about it. There we go. Come on. Yeah, here, I'll even... Uh, Pull the whole Vanna thing and where's Vanna? Okay. All right. So this board, um, I can't remember his first name, but Barber. Barber Don. Don? Okay. So the uh the purpose of this board is to recreate the RS232 pack, the 6551 functionality. But instead of it using a 6551, you there's the connection on the far right on the video. Um, that is where you have a uh, FTDI chip. It's a, um, a FT245. And what it is, is it's a USB chip that goes to 8-bit parallel. And then what that does is basically... There's no, you, you don't have to worry about serial. It looks like serial on the PC, but you get high speed. I mean, as as fast as the cocoa can rip the data. And this would be good for um, RS-232 <laughs> applications under Nitrous 9, uh, drive wire. Yes, I said drive wire. Um, so, Sloopy, you need to cover up that hole. <laughs> oh wow i didn't even notice that so um so but yes um i'm i'm expecting the speeds to be like the becker port on the emulators and the coco 3 fpga project 
So we're talking like like two thirty plus or four sixty or the 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 it, the baud rate doesn't matter here. This would probably be closer to like I'm oh, assuming so basically hard drive speed. speed basically at this point. Whatever fast speed you can dump it off the yeah because because with, with this the way this is set up there's no baud rate even though on the PC you'd have a baud rate but it would just be ignored because this is going from USB to parallel and then this is just doing logic chips to simulate the 6551 for compatibility with applications but yeah you'll just be getting straight through as the data comes in it'll be available if you want it and you just read it okay or write it plus the the the, the ftd ftdi chip has a fifo on it both directions so that will also help for throughput Okay, More and now I finally words. know what the ISORAN looked like when it was young. <laughs> so where does the uh, USB connect to? Your PC, Mac, Linux, I, Windows, whatever. But how does it go from this board to the PC? Magic. There's got to be some USB cable, USB connector, USB connector somewhere. And how where does the USB it, cable connect to this board? That FTDI adapter. Okay, Where's so it's not an FTDI plug? chip; it's an actual board, FTDI board. Yes, but it's right. Okay. I like Alan's yeah. summary in the chat here. He says, "Short version: a USB connection that looks like a Deluxe R32 pack yeah. and works with existing Cocoa software." Yes, really fast. Marketing literature. There we go. Print it. Sorry, I have a habit of being more low level than than end user friendly. Here's the backside of anyone interested. But yes, I can't wait to be able to acquire the parts necessary for assembling it because I really want that speed. Is that address selectable? Yes, all the way from FF00 to... Um, yeah, I saw the switches there. FF... I don't know what whatever as long as you're not blocking other reserved places, but yeah, it's it's got a nice large range that you can do. But I would probably just set it for the modem pack address because then because I've already got drive wire driver set up for uh, using both the RS two thirty two pack and modem pack addresses. <coughs> yeah, if you change the address, the existing Cocoa software isn't going to work. Except uh, under Nitrous 9, you can build device descriptors to go to the rest of the addresses. But if you're trying to use um, Say RS, Ultimate Term or Twilight Terminal, you'd want to leave it at the regular RS232 well, pack address. Like emulating the modem pack or a modem pack address or deluxe RS232 pack. Yeah, and those are the two addresses I would be using because I eventually <laughs> plan on trying to find a Optic, optical serial mouse for using on the RS-232 pack so that way I can get even less latency under Nitrous 9. Brian Sherbring, you're about to say something? or Nope, nope. I just had that uh, question about if it was address uh, selectable and there's dip switches there. So you can do that. That was my only question. Okay. Cool. So well, keep us up to date on that, Sloopy and uh, David, when you when you do get the parts in. What did you uh, call me? I'll be, I'll be ordering the parts next week. 
Should I will be ordering some extra for uh, Mr. Lad? Mm, um, maybe I'll have to see if I can get the funds. Well, we can work that out later. Do you want me to order them for you too? Sure. Okay. You have one or two. I have two, but I only really need to assemble one at this time. Okay. Is there is there anything you need from the store, David? <laughs> some Diet Dr. Diet Pepper, Dr. Pepper, some water. Yeah. Oh, he's got a standing <laughs> order for Diet Dr. Pepper. I always grab one when I go to the store for him. Sort of like when I go to Wawa, I always get coffee for someone. Whether okay, I think that's it, it for project updates and acquisitions, unless uh, some late joiners like Brian or somebody has anything. But No, nothing here other than uh, let's go uh, Cocoa Fest. Okay. All right. Let's see. What do we got next? Um, I would say an ad break. (laughs) Yeah. Working up to that. uh, We did have a last second uh, programming request. uh, So I'm going to need to program that in. And I can't do that while on the show. So so everyone's going to have to see my my, uh, doing this here. So I. Hi, I'm Terry Stegi from Retro Tech Time and the Tandy Shack, and you're watching The Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousin. And yes, now, please. Coco Thoughts. And I got to Samuel so that Gimes. everyone else can hear it. Meet the new show. Same as the old show. We won't get moved again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That was it. That was it. That was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, let's try that again. <laughs> that was hey, short. It was shortened to the point, I guess. <laughs> and now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Meet the new show. Same as the old show. We won't get moved again. <laughs> yeah. I guess okay. that was it. Here we go. <laughs> Commercial break. The Coco Nation show is an unscripted live and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation.
The Cocoa Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Bateson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. The Coco Nation welcomes our new Discord members. Code Phoenix says, Hi all, Craig H. here. Long-time Coco owner. I have a Coco 3 that I've held onto since middle school, as well as a Coco 2 that I picked up on eBay a few years ago. My dad was the Radio Shack store manager in our hometown so I grew up with all things Tandy, realistic, etc. I heard about this group from the TRS-80 Color Computer Facebook group where I've been a member for many years. This Discord group seems like a good way to stay in the loop. Wormfood says, Hi all. I'm Dave, and a Cocoa hacker from way back in the day. I have designed several Cocoa hardware mods, like a one-chip-slash-one-byte mod, to enable four double-sided floppy drives on OS 9. I started off with a Cocoa 1, and ended up with a PT-68K4. I still have all my old Cocoa gear including my TP-10 printer, where the hell can I get the silver toilet paper this thing prints on? I bought my first modem in 1985, and have been online ever since. Telenoc says, Hi folks. I'm Pete C., going around online as Telenoc for ages. I've got a couple TRS-80 Model 1s, 3 Model 4s, and a Model 4P. The 4P is running dual 720K drives, and one of the desktop 4s has two of them. I used to have a Coco 2 and 3, and played with OS 9 a little. I have a Model 1 set up in the living room but I haven't turned it on in ages. I mostly use Tim Mann's TRS-80 emulators. I heard about the place from my brother from another mother core yes. Looking for? Retro camaraderie I guess. I look forward to hanging out with y'all. Vlad557776 says. My name is Vlad. Mostly emulated TRS-80s running Xenix hoping to get a Model 16 or a Model 6000 someday to run TRS Xenix on real hardware, sometimes messing around with Deskmate. Found out that a Tandy Discord existed through the TRS-80GP Discord, decided to look it up and now I'm here. Looking to talk about Xenix, Deskmate, other non-TRS DOS OSs for the TRS-80s. Phobomancer says. Hi team, my name is Aaron. It's been quite a while. I was Sir Galahad AD on the Freenode IRC server. I was born in 82. The family Coco 2 became my Coco 2 when the family got a compact 386 PC. I learned programming on the Coco. Every now and then I entertain the idea of writing Coco development tools in extended basic, but I doubt I'll ever get around to it. Came Senen 13 says. Hello, sadly I ate all the pizza on my way here. My name is Haber and as a kid I had a Coco 2. It was swindled during my teens, I just bought before Christmas another one in the game that I played as a kid. I got it running today after cleaning it. As a kid I didn't have any form of storage, that is my next step. My goal is to type and save the games I used to play as a kid and share my experiences with anyone interested. Ivanar says, Hi, I'm Ivan, I started with the Coco 1, later the Coco 3, OS 9, and MM1. From there I went on to be a Unix admin and programmer. I haven't done much in the retro area, but do want to learn more and get some things running again.
I heard about the Discord group through Coco Talk. DHE says, your name? Dan. Your systems? Main-based Coco 3. How do you retro? Learning Nitro S9. Where did you hear about us? L. Curtis, and Coco Talk. Looking for? To learn about Nitro S9, Coco 3 hardware and a bit about the programming API. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to Tandy Color Computer 3, Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. Because cocoing is better together. Welcome to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. We just finished a little break for Christmas, so we played a few games over the Christmas holidays, two of which ended this week. The first one we're going to look at was a participation video. We had a total of five people participate in the Dungeons of Daggereth game. The first screenshot was from Mr. Dave 6309. Then we had a screenshot from L. Curtis Boyle. And here's one from Canadian Retro Things. Made it to level two, I see. <laughs> we also had one from Rich N. All seems to be the same and picture. And finally, here is one from Exile in Paradise. It's all Photoshop. And the other game that we played <laughs> this week was Gravator with a total of eight players. There was a three-way tie for eighth place between Canadian Retro Things, Justin Larson, and Terry Stege with 100 points. L. Curtis Boyle got 300 Kieran got a thousand. Rich N got thirty-eight hundred. Mister Dave sixty-three oh nine got sixteen thousand one hundred. And the number one score in Gravator over Christmas was Buck Owens with thirty-two thousand. Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> Thanks to Shocker. everybody that played these games, and we will see you next week. All right, first thing I have to say is I'm so sorry about Gravator. <laughs> well, the problem I had is that the, there was two versions on the re, the uh, um, archive with two different people's names. So I didn't know which one to actually use. Uh, Mr. Dave's fixed one uh, was a little bit easier. You could at least score, at least I could at least score 100 points in it. <laughs> Both actually, both the games that uh, had the different names on them were basically the same. I I didn't see any difference in them. They just 
were both impossible to play. Both really bad. I say yeah, the, it's the game very itself is a clone of, of, of Gravatar, of course. <clears throat> and if it wasn't for the controls, it probably wouldn't have been bad. I mean, it yeah. looked like the gameplay was fine, but the controls, the key repeat speed is like maxed out. So if you just tap a key to turn, you spin you like spin. two and a half revolutions before you let go. So good luck aiming anything. And one of the things I really hate about it is that you had a triangle ship. So until you hit the thruster, you didn't know which direction you were facing. Yeah. It looked like it was a good game. It was just trying to fighting to get out of the the controls. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, the entire problem with the game was the controls. So I don't know. I can't really say a lot about the gameplay because it was just crash, 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 crash. Who picked this game? Ah, oh, I don't know, but he Do better not show his face at Coco Fest. <laughs> <laughs> Get lynched. <laughs> I have to say it's a little bit easier if you have a Coco 1 or 2 with a Coco 1 and 2 keyboard layout because it was actually laid out for the up and down arrow keys being on the left. And then you can actually, you have two keys next to each other to spin because when you try to play it on the diamond shape, it's just, it's a cluster. Because um, when I played it on my real Coco 1 and 2, and unfortunately I didn't take a screenshot, I scored over a thousand a couple of times. Uh, doing that. that that was the only difference but the the key repeat is way way too fast well and oddly enough i i couldn't actually find any uh reviews of this game wonder why the one thing i <laughs> did see was that uh buck owens had pointed me towards a listing in rainbow of may of 86 there's actually a high score submission so somebody actually scored forty two thousand one hundred on it so um, that person probably is a masochist. <laughs> Way to go, Photoshop didn't exist back then. <laughs> I already have my pitchfork and torch in my car ready to go to Coco Fest. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, a lot of people tried the game and uh, quit pretty quickly because it was just too hard. Yeah, it's too bad because I mean, the game itself, other than the controls, that it's, it actually doesn't look too shabby at all. Yeah, I think, yeah, if the if there was better controls, if you could actually, like when Mr. Dave did his hacked version of it, he should have slowed down the uh, rotation of the ship. Yes. Yeah, Mr. Dave, what's up? Because uh, that's that was the biggest problem that I had. Every time I would just tap the button and I would spin around, I'd have no idea which way I was facing. Then I'd hit thrust and boom, right into this wall mm. and I'd be dead. It's like a perfect triangle, though. Then pretty much have like yeah. <laughs> yes, you can't really tell until like you thrust or fire where you're going. Boo. Good, good, good. Uh, I mean the graphics were fine. Yeah, the graphics the sounds were good. good. It was just just, just the, the controls. Game, the controls made the gameplay just about impossible. And yeah. so tips and tricks on this one, <laughs> I would say okay. uh either you be a robot like Buck Owens or <laughs> don't play it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dave's patch to use a joystick helped a bit. Yeah. Like I said, I managed to score 100 points with his patched version. So I'm playing him with a Coco 1 2 keyboard layout or with Rick's key fix with the little slider switch you can switch all yeah. the control. That actually does help a little bit. But the game, the core game, the thrust and the fire can use the rapid key repeat, but the turning has to be slowed down. So you only you know rotate once every tenth of a second or something instead of constant. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're not actually kidding with you. just a light tap on the key and you spin at least three quarters of a revolution, if not a full revolution in a bit. Mm. Or, yeah. As Aaron and like, Bolt would say on their show, it's a game that there's a, there is a game there. It just yeah. needs some fixing to, to bring it to life. 
<laughs> I'm just I wonder if the programmer of the game actually play tested it or well and the fact that there is two different versions with two different author names on it whether either of them actually play tested the game before they released it yeah buck is saying yeah it only needed it really needed 16 directions or 32 or 64 because then it would be more gradual rotation instead of this bang 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 eight direction thing no, I much preferred playing Dagrath, and I think I only played it once at the beginning, and I actually did pretty good. I made it up to level three. I actually yeah. got a ring shot into the wizard, and then I went running to turn around to you know wait for my heart to slow down. Unfortunately, where I turned around was because I typed all this way ahead of the keyboard buffer. There was a knight waiting for me and just clonked me, and that was the end of that one. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I guess uh, um, as Curtis has moved it along, we've talked enough about Gravatar. Now let's yes, all have. erase Please, that from my memory. Yes. Yeah, I played no. it for five minutes and I said, no, no, I'm done. <laughs> That's pretty much what I did too. Um, so I found two reviews of Dungeons of Daggereth. Well, I didn't look that hard. Or they're pretty easy to find because it was a popular game. So the first one we will look at is from Hot Cocoa of July of 84. And uh, just a couple things this author said about it, um, that the this game captured his fascination, as few other games have, um, pointing out how each creature makes a characteristic sound as it roams the halls, and you can hear it uh, well ahead of time. And they get louder which, as they get closer. Yeah, which really adds to the ambiance of the game. And... Uh, see uh with this game often frustrated but by the fact that yeah this so this is one um thing that he didn't like is he got often frustrated by the fact that there can often be a one or two second delay between the time you type a command and when it uh, goes through the buffer so sometimes you can get killed even after you've typed attack like four or five times and it hasn't done anything yet and the guy hits you and kills you I know. I kind of get used to that because you can yeah. kind of tell, like you hear a roar from a, a giant, and then you know that you know as soon as yeah. that roar sound finishes, your attack will start. You yeah. gotta get used to it, but you do. But I mean, uh, I think these people. That's just we, we've also got the advantage that I know that I've been playing this game for forty years, so <laughs> I've had a chance to get used to it. <laughs> And the other review is from Rainbow, July of 83. And uh, this reviewer said that in the world of uh, adventure gaming, this is a new standard. I would uh, agree. Sim- simply the best adventure game that this yeah. author has played to date. And uh, actually says the game is more like an adventure arcade offering because uh, it... It has the slow pace of an adventure game until you get into a fight, and then it's more like an arcade game with uh, frantic doing things, uh, fighting, and because it is uh, time based, like it's it's real, real time. times, yeah. real time, so it's not turn based. So, um, yeah, it's kind of kind of funny he, he describes it that way, considering what these types of games ultimately became and and how they're classified now. I mean, this is. This is basically like the forerunner of first-person shooter-type games, you know? And, yep. And, Pictures uh, on the wall, and it's Doom. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So it's 
kind of funny he describes it that way because we know 40 years later what these types of games ultimately evolved into. Um, yeah. Very groundbreaking. Yeah. yeah. And actually, he does say that the one thing he really liked about the fact that it was actual real-time based is that when you're playing an adventure game, if you're re- a real adventurer, you don't go racing from room to room. You have to conserve your energy. You have to take a break to let your heartbeat slow down. And um, and the sound is fantastic. This person also loved the fact that you could hear all the distinct sounds of each creature. And uh, did you notice who did the review? Lonnie Falk. Yeah, publisher Rainbow. Oh, okay. And former mayor of Prospect. Anyways, well, really like the games. Uh, said it will provide you with uh, more fun than you've had in quite a while. It's a great game. So uh, That'd have been funny if that review was in Hot Cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Dungeons of Dagrath is definitely one of the flagship games of the color computer that most people have heard of. So, and it's yeah. also been mentioned in a, a rather famous book. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, one of the few games that has a nice keyboard system where it actually captures what you're typing in a reasonable time and cues it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's like a buffer. It's cool. Yeah. And rather ingeniously programmed because all of that was crammed into an AK ROM, and we don't have a sound chip, and every monster has its own sound. Mm. Yep. So it was uh, just. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Fred. Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna ask. Um, um, has anybody been able to beat the game without having to save it? Like, yes. Save your spot like a dozen times. <laughs> yes, you have? I have. Wow. Yes. wow. Not not I, not recently, as I've gotten yeah, older, but the 80s, in the old days. Yeah. Yes. I'm and actually then, ashamed to I'm say in, four, in 40 years of playing, I've never actually beat the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've I've beaten it, but I had to save my save my spot like a dozen times. Uh, I I tried several times. Well, I tried a lot of times to uh, to beat it without saving, but I, he, I just can't. I never succeeded in doing it. I, I think the farthest I got was like beginning a level four or something. And even in the uh, book that Curtis mentioned, Ready Player One, they the uh, in the story he had to save the game a whole bunch of times to beat it. So mm. there you go, Curtis. You're better than the uh, game player in Ready Player One. There, there was one guy I remember meeting at a fest, and he actually did it. What did he call it? The slapping version or something like that. He went with bare hands and won the game. Like he didn't even bother picking up all the weapons and the rings. He was just so good at doing the running and turning around and letting the heart rate get three attacks in quick on whatever monster and then run again so that he got strengthened up enough he didn't even uh, need how many times do you have to slap some of those more powerful creatures to i would imagine tons i mean you do gain strength so it becomes easier and easier but i i wouldn't even attempt something like that that's pretty crazy that's crazy start with the spiders (laughs) yeah i mean those you can kill with bare hands i've I've done that even the vipers Um, have killed with bare hands you know later on type thing or with your shield, because it makes a cool sound when you whap them with your shield. But. Clang, clang, yeah. <laughs> that was that was a game so far ahead of its time. The the real time aspect, the whole heart rate, which doubled as both a general health and also a, too much exertion. Um, monsters getting louder as they got closer. Um, the hidden doors that if you got magical torches, you could see kind of outlying 
kind of coarsely. And then when you got a solar torch, you could see it crystal clear. Uh, that each Possibly. torch type had different time allotments as to how long they'd last. The pine torch is 15 minutes, lunar torch is 30, solar is uh, 60. 60. Different levels of weapons, different levels of shields, all the different flasks. You had to do the whole look up in a thesaurus to incant the rings. I mean, just so much cool stuff. And an 8K ROM. Just and your my first rage quit, more than likely. Right after <laughs> nope. you the image and realize you didn't get the wizard. See, I was excited with that. I thought, oh, I'm going to win the game now. This, uh, you know, it didn't take as long as I oh. thought. Then, no, there's a fourth level, and I lost all my stuff. Yeah, oh, and I it's actually win. it is interesting that in one of the reviews they described it as only having three levels, so they obviously never got past the first uh, <laughs> wizard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I the the game was really hard and really frustrating. I, I remember, um, you know, it was. I remember like making it all the way to like level three and spending like an hour and a half to get there. And then suddenly you momentarily overlook the scorpion that shows up and kills you right away. And you didn't see him like hanging out there in the lower corner of the screen there. And cause you were, you should be able to hear him though. That little click, click, you know, that little, yeah, well, that, that too is <laughs> easy to miss too, though. It, it, yeah. Those scorpions <laughs> are, oh. I hate the scorpions because it doesn't matter how many objects are lying in the floor of the room. It comes in and kills you just like that before you sometimes even notice he's there. If you watch me playing level three on the on the the live one, you can actually see I actually stayed in the text mode where you're looking at your inventory and what's on the floor. Because they'll say creature Mm. as soon as something shows up. And that's Mm. how I time my attacks and scorpions because I, you know, like if I only had a lunar torch, they're a little bit hard to see. So I just said that as soon as it says creature, attack left, attack left, because it only takes one hit to kill them. That's a good suggestion. I, I don't, rem- I don't recall ever using that technique. I don't. Maybe I did. Oh, there we go. I guess we're on to the tips and tricks portion. <laughs> there we go. Yes. I'm just derailing <laughs> your entire segment here. I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Let the monsters drop the treasures, and you can hunt up a bunch of monsters on a level, uh, because they they get they pause with the treasure in the in the tile. Most of them do, yes. Except yeah. the scorpion. Except <clears throat> the scorpion. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, do the, do the wraths, the wraiths, do they the wraiths, I think the wraiths don't either, if I remember right. Because even the wizard will stop and pick up crap, so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think wraiths do. But, uh, yeah, you can, you, and the treasure drop is also a good way to take a quick pause if you need to uh, run off. That, you know, so. And another tip for me is uh Take the time to try to get all your maximum items on each level. Because if you start yes. rushing through it, you won't be powerful enough to make it through. So like on the very first level, there's actually, I think the two blobs, one carries an iron sword and one carries the first ring. And mm-hmm. if you miss one of those, it becomes much more difficult to get through the wizard's image. So kind of take your time, like clean the levels out. So if you want to take a place, drop all your stuff and kind of camp, pick a four-way hallway if you can. That way the monsters can find you easier. So you can like herd them towards you, so you can kill them faster. Otherwise, if you're in like a little corner, you know, some of them might not be able to get around other corners to even get to you. Then you have to wander through the maze trying to find them. Just a pain. You know what's interesting is the fifth level is actually not as hard as like the fourth level. Well, the fourth, you you lose everything. Like when you kill the wizard's image, you're left with the torch that's in your backpack and whatever's in your hands. Everything else disappears. And yeah. I didn't know that the first time I that, did that. That's that was, what makes the fourth yeah. level so hard is you're starting over and all these creatures are really super powerful and hard to kill. And you don't have very many, well, you don't have any objects when you first start out there. And so you can't 
don't have a whole pile of stuff that they, you know. Yeah, then you have to do that. I can get out. three attacks in before I have to run if I can rapid fire no. the keyboard. You No more than three. You can yeah. occasionally sneak in a fourth, but don't trust it. Yeah. Fourth, and then fourth you got used to that, you know, attack, 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 run, 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 turn around, wait for them to come back up, attack, 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 and just go back and forth. And eventually they yeah. start dropping stuff. Or you could drop your shield and let them pick that up so you can get a couple whacks and you know, get some items on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, fifth fifth level's not so hard just because they're what makes it so easy? I guess by that time you're so powerful you can kill anything. Yeah, the gal the galrogs or balrogs, I should say, are a bit yeah. tough at the beginning of level five. But yeah, the the thing but I it, found the most fascinating when I first won the game, and it took took a bit. Um, I killed the wizard on the final level, and it, the game doesn't end. I mean, everything, all the monsters that are left freeze. Your torches immediately extinguish to being like half burnt pine torches, and yet you can wander around and wander right past monsters because they're frozen. You have to encamp that final ring that the uh, the wizard dropped, and I needed to borrow with a source to figure out that one. That one I would not have guessed in a million years. <laughs> yeah, i I don't remember. I don't remember the last ring being particularly hard. I, what was it? I'm trying to remember. Spoiler alert, by the way. Um, it, yeah, it was, was called the Supreme Ring when he drops it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you need to get the source to figure what to encounter. I don't. With. I don't remember it being particularly hard. But then again, I, I don't. Yeah, like the jewel ago. for energy and you know Vulcan yeah. for fire and all that. That was easy. But that that yeah, last one, I, Supreme Ring was harder. Yeah, because uh, yeah. if you just look up in dictionary at the time, most dictionaries did not have it. But if you had to get the source, it would give you a couple of hints. Yeah, and I'm not going to spoil it, so I'm not going to tell anybody. They can figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember it being so hard. But then again, I. Maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe it was really hard. I don't know. <laughs> you just you just played the game a lot, so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, definitely. I mean, that was one game I used to take when we used to have our computer gatherings at high school because everybody we had Apple IIs in the lab, Apple II pluses, and everybody would bring their own machines on a Friday. We all stay till like six or seven at night, so people would bring in like big twenties and C sixty fours and where else is around the eighty three eighty four time frame. And that was one game that impressed everybody because everybody else was playing like, you know, a Calabeth originally and then, you know, Ultima, Wizardry, that kind of stuff. And this game actually outshone all of those pretty well. I mean, it didn't have the vastness of an Ultima game or a Wizardry game, but just, you know, how the dungeons were handled, the sound effects. There was nothing that could touch it on any other platform at the time. Yep. And Boat and Aaron don't like it because I guess they suck at typing. That's all I can figure out. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the there's abbreviations for all the commands, right? So, like yeah. attack left is just a space L. You know. Yeah, actually, there's some trip tips and tricks there too. So, if you have two different types of an object, you can do like get left lunar torch. You can do L U space T or something like that. But those actually work even if you have not revealed them. So, if you want, if you have just torch, torch, torch dropped on the floor, and you're going, I wonder if one of those is a solar torch. You can put get left S O space T. And even if you haven't revealed it yet, if you, if it does grab it, then it is an actual solar torque. You can tell ahead of time what some of these objects are, so you know what you have in your inventory. Even though you can't use them effectively until you're powerful enough to reveal them. So that's a little trick. Alrighty. A nice so. thing that came in handy for the game back in the day was uh, uh, the XT keyboard adapters. Um, like that one from Cloud9 was 
uh, the putting off the ones that have the programmable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the F keys. So the, therefore you could hit a button and, and it would just type it for you. So you could just. Yeah. F1 hit, would hit, be hit, attack hit. left and <laughs> yes, F2 is store right. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't use that when I won though. I, I didn't cheat like that. Tempting. I actually didn't have a keyboard like that at that. Point. Is it really cheating though? Or is it just using what you have at hand? <laughs> it's being smart. no no <laughs> cheating would be disassembling the game changing stuff and then um <laughs> then playing it with like the disassembling stuff. the game and fixing the shield oh okay well that's a different that's fixing a bug <laughs> yeah you guys should actually mention that because some people may not know about that yeah there is actually two versions out there um in the original version there's a bug that the uh shield um how does that work the the shield isn't effective uh because so the short version is the yeah. magic defense and the physical defense for the initial okay. shield the bites were swapped in the yeah. code so basically the uh, the the shield you start with defends you against magic which no one is really using on the first level and def- does nothing against any physical attacks, which is all that's happening on the first level. So the shield fixed version uh, swaps those two bytes around and, and basically puts the game to where, what it was originally intended to do. So for folks who played the original back in the day and beat it, you were beating it bare naked, essentially, at first. How did you know? So anybody that's got the cartridge... Has it has the uh, version where the shield doesn't work? <laughs> well, one thing I should also mention: there's actually a port to Windows of Dagrat. That's how popular this game was, and it actually plays quite yeah. well too. Uh, so, any of you that do not have or do not want to play with the emulator, you can actually download that. It's uh, I think Michael Spencer or somebody. I can't even remember who made it now. So, I have the cartridge. I never noticed that bug. They never came out with a correct no. fixed cartridge. Nope. No, there's no, a fixed... Will, Will um, also discovered that, I believe. Yeah, there's a fixed version on the archive. I, I don't think I ever disc. noticed. <laughs> so, probably... Why, I'm blaming that on the fact that when I was a kid, I just... I never even made it off the first level for the first three or four years that I had it. I'm blaming <laughs> the shield problem. Well, now, this is an interesting game because normally... The Coco game would be a copy of some other game, and you could say, well, it's not working right. But you couldn't do that here. It's just the shield didn't work very much. Yeah, and the whole way the shields register physical damage and or against physical damage and against magical damage is not mentioned in the manual at all. Like That's just the way it internally works, but you had no yeah. idea what it's doing behind the scenes. Actually, one of, and one of the things I found interesting about it is it's such a groundbreaking and really good game, yet... It's the only game that these authors ever released. They did have a sequel planned. It was going to take place in space. Uh, Douglas Morton talked about it in an interview that he had done way, way, way back. But well, there was Castle of Therogad. That's not a sequel. That's uh, (laughs) abomination, is what that is. Um, Yeah, I. I, I, uh, But it's not by the original authors. So, (laughs) but the original authors did have a second one planned, and in fact, the original Dagrath they were going to release with Tandy. They wanted to get a 16K ROM because they had extra stuff in it. And Tandy said, nope, that's going to cost too much. Fit it in 8K. So they had to actually crunch it down. So you didn't get the full game that they originally intended. Somebody should get a hold of them and get them to release that second game. 
I uh, some people did ask him about it. And I don't think that code existed anymore. Well, something they could work on. Jeez. <laughs> Time to get back into the retro community. Anyways, does anybody else have anything to say about our two games this week? You know, I, I've been working on Andark 3, and I've been trying to think of, like, what additional puzzles I can add to the game to make it to make it more challenging. And uh, I just had an idea. Maybe I could... Maybe a couple of the puzzles could be come could be copied straight out of uh, Dungeons of Daggerath, <laughs> and only people who have conquered Dungeons of Daggerath would be able to solve Endark Three. <laughs> there you go. Nice. <laughs> so it's a spiritual successor, then. <laughs> I'm like there again. I understood oh. what Scott was trying to do with Theragad, you know, making it a more modern mouse joystick interface with icons, but that's just not the game to do it with. Yeah. Yeah, it I believe loses. it was specifically required to do that. Uh, there's an interview with Scott out there where he basically talks about what happened with that whole Theragad project. Okay, I haven't read that. If you, if you have that, uh, send, send me the link. I'd love to... Look yeah, it's out there with the, all the maps of the levels that he put out there. So I'll, I'll have to dig it up for you. Okay, cool. This, this is why you should let authors write the games and not boardrooms. Right? All right. Well, um, I guess, uh, Sloopy, did you want to talk about the live game that we did or the live show that we did? I will share video from it if you would like. Sure. If you're, if you're here. Okay, you're here. No, Good. I left. You left? Oh, okay. Yeah, I left. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, we had five people playing at one. And as time. you can see, four of them are Dungeons of Daggerth. <laughs> yeah, that was when I was playing, and I will. I you can see me playing Dungeons of Daggerth, and I didn't even uh, get credited for it. That's because you never put in a screenshot, and also that's uh, not you typing. I loaded it up. I cussed at <laughs> it. Isn't that good enough? <laughs> there is a little bit of a learning curve to the game. So a little bit. Uh, yeah, this is one you would definitely want to read the manual. You're yeah, not going to just like, guess everything on your own. Well, actually, and you were saying how the manual is so long, but actually three quarters of the manual is the backstory. Yeah. Well, they, that that's just it. They, they said, yeah, read the manual. It'll help you. And I told I was, you which page to go to. And then, then I was told to go to page 31, and it's like L-R-A-L-R-F. Uh, uh, and I'm like, what does this even mean? I was so confused. It's and, one of the thickest manuals for any of the Coco games, if I remember right. Yeah, it's and it's like it's like uh like almost 40 pages, it's like 36 pages, and of those 36 pages. 30 of them are just story and six of them actually tell you what, what you need to do. And I did all right on it. Um, I, it's not really my kind of game. I prefer simpler controls like joystick. We'll have to get your opinion of uh, Theragad then Slippy. Yeah, there you go. Play Theragad. Okay. It's it's the kind of the same game, but with uh, joystick control. Yeah, is it? How is it compared to like Temple of Vapshai? 
or Gateway to Abshai? Well, it's closer to Daggerath than it is to any of those. Uh, yeah, it's just that it's got icons. You can pick, you want to get something, you click on a hand and then the object on the screen type thing. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a little bit much. Yeah, because I liked uh, Temple of, or Gateway to Abshai, Temple of Abshai. But we should I, make, um, which are kind of like Telengard clones that don't kill you instantly. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very simple minded person. So, oh, no, wait, simple minded. I get those two mixed up. <laughs> so, Nick, what were you saying? Uh, we should make Theragad a uh, game challenge game. Uh, that's yeah, the one that we're going to do just before we do Predator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the best insults win. Uh, by the way, D. Bruce Moore in the chat says uh, Force of Doom has a pretty manual. He's right because he's got all the monster pages and everything else, too. So that's a bigger one. A few of the strategy yeah, games, too, like Zone Runner, Worlds of Flight have huge manuals as well. Sub-battle simulator. Carmen Sandiego has a whole friggin' almanac that's 300 pages long as part of its. Oh, that's right. Forgot about that one. Yeah, that's right. That was huge. Yeah, I mean, find, finding a world almanac for the uh, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego is a pain in the butt these days. Right? You can't play the game without an 87 almanac. So. Yeah, because half the countries have changed <laughs> since then. So, <laughs> Holy cow, that's funny. So don't yeah. make that the game on challenge is what you're saying? Oh, I'd still love I love playing yeah, Carmen Sandiego. That's one I actually go back parts. to. <laughs> back to the game go, on. Go on eBay, see if you can find an 87 almanac on eBay and all right, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, Sloopy. Oh, I can talk again. Thank you. Yes, back to the game one challenge live. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we um, had a kind of successful uh, start to the year, and hopefully it will continue on and we'll get more players. So please come because we're not playing that awful game anymore. Yeah, yeah. That we well, haven't seen what I have chosen for next week, though. <laughs> Just remember, my pitchfork and torches are already uh, put into the vehicle uh, to come to uh, to come to Coco Fest. So, it's not Dino Wars, is it? Uh, you guessed. <laughs> we already played Dino Wars, didn't we? Not yet. And for Dino Wars, you have to find a friend. That's going to be the I, hardest part for me. I don't have any <laughs> friends. Even even my best friend. Uh, Canadian retro things. He left me. He he's like just doesn't talk to me anymore. So I heard he's kind of a jerk anyway. So I hey hey I thought he was a very nice guy. I even met him in person. <laughs> All he's right, a jerk so, by Canadian standards. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> by American um, standards, that's very nice. <laughs> so we actually, as you said, had a very successful uh, beginning here. Um, by the end of it, we actually went for almost four hours on this live broadcast. So. Yeah, that we was played a, Coco Bond, though. Yeah, we played a lot of Coco Bond. So if you're having trouble with uh, some of the levels, you can cheat by going back through the live stream and watch how we solve them. <laughs> All right. So anything else you wanted to say about that, Sloopy? Nope. Okay. And that's all I have to say about that. Um. Let's see. So I guess, uh, as I said, Coco Bon um, is actually still our um, game this week. Ah, my computer's acting up. 
Okay, so we're still playing Cocobon for one more week. So, um, yeah, put out a... Uh, make a level of your own for it. Or, uh, yeah, at least uh, put out a picture of a level that you enjoy playing. I know that uh, some of us, or some people that have just about beat the game or have beat the game, uh, want to find more levels to play. So, and they can be posted in the Coco Bon uh, tab on Discord, just uh, two below the Game on Challenge tab. Oh, that reminds yeah, me. Yeah, create a level or 40. Yeah. Where, where can we download the levels that are already made? They're in the. Uh, I, th I believe they are. They should be in the uh, the Coco Bond tab on Discord, which is, as I said, two below the game on challenge. Okay. Because I want to try think... some of those uh, new ones. Yeah. And as we, I said, we're we're uh, rotating games, so this one ends next week, and now we're also going to play another game for two weeks. Let's see if anybody recognizes this one. Sentence. Yes. <laughs> it's it's a Radio Shack cartridge by Spectral Associates called Slay the Neeries. Or Neeries, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. that it's is... Centipede Underwater is basically what it is. Yep, that is correct. So we are playing this on level six. I've got this game. Yeah, I can probably, I probably enter. There we go. So, oh, yeah, it's just basically centipede. <laughs> what happens right if I play on level one? Well, then you're just cheating. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yes, level six, uh, unless you want to play it on a different level. As I've said in the past, there's no real cheating in this other than um, Photoshopping <laughs> scores because the idea is to get people playing these games. So, and having fun doing it, unless you know it's a really bad game. Okay, I got fifty thousand in Gravitor. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're photoshopping, that's cheating. Based five hundred thousand. Based five million. But yeah, that's that's the Nick Morenti's way of playing games. Yeah, so try it on level six. That's all I'm saying. It's better than Gravitor, I can tell you that right now. So that, yes, that. if you're a, especially if you're a fan of Centipede, it's actually a good version. Yeah, I wouldn't say the best, but it's definitely not. No, the it's worst. not the best, but it's a, a decent version. It's about average in the middle. Yeah. And that's all I have to say. Cool. Okay. So everybody get uh, keep working at getting through the levels on uh, Cocobon and also design your own levels so that uh, Paul has somebody else's to play. How many levels are built into Cocobon? 32. I only have one more to go, so. Nice. You're on 32 right now, Sloopy? Yes. Ooh. Oh, you're just going to tackle the bucket ones, ones then. You're going to have to show me how to beat 31 then, because I can't get past it anymore. Because <laughs> I, <have to> <laughs> I did it around, uh, I think, like 4.30, 5 o'clock this morning. Oh, yeah, you got to have your mind warped for it. That makes sense. Yeah, I and I was <laughs> I was in excruciating pain because I have a tooth problem, and I was sitting there and I was just clicking and moving, and all of a sudden I I made it, and I'm like, how'd I do that? 
That's that's what happened to us during playtesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, gain, the the brain damage that it caused, I don't know if I can do it again. It's not I'll repairable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, please uh please I want to I want to play some levels. So, I'm I'm curious to see what kind of cool stuff people come up with. One of the things that we did while we were uh, you know, developing the game just real quick is that we would pull inspiration from other games that we've played and try to make a level kind of inspired by that, like such as Pac-Man or Frogger or things like that. So there's something to get your creative juices flowing. Thanks. Okay. Ready for a commercial break? Sure. Sure. I don't have too many game news, so we might as well just run the, when you come back from the commercial, just run the uh, news intro and I'll just do the game first and then on to the regular. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Aaron of The Coco Show. And you're watching or listening to The Coco Nation, the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail The Coco Nation. Om. 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 Tired of your color computer art input device being low res? Joey has you covered again. Switch between three joysticks or mice. Select the left or right port on your Coco. No more swapping joystick ports. Switch between standard and high resolution mode. Supports the Tandy and the Max high resolution mode. Order yours today at CocoMan.biz. today at lcurtisboyle.com Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. 
for the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. We should edit that so it says, uh, and here's Curtis soldering, and then have that flame on. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. I don't want to do it live because it might hurt myself. Okay, I presume you guys are seeing this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so Jim Mollis on the uh, Facebook Coco group posted this rather interesting question. Uh, how many folks here are actively working on new games for the Coco? Also, when you are done, will you be sharing the code? And he's had 12 responses so far. But the one that most interested me was Paul Shoemaker, of course, has cranked out stuff like uh, the Camel game and the various versions of Ghost Rush and Poker Squares and a bunch of others. And uh, he's actually mentioned here, he says, I'm working on new games pretty much all the time, but I don't always share the code. Lately, I'm working on a 3D dungeon crawler that will be a mix of traditional story-driven old-school RPGs-type game but with a combat model that requires... Some keyboard dexterity sounds like Daggereth. Um, the player will need to time their attack and defend button presses to correspond with colored balls falling at different speeds from the top. Think like Guitar Hero. At least that's the idea. Plenty of work left still. And then he put a screenshot of what it kind of looks like at this point. So you can see on the upper left, he's got the equipment. You were holding a dull knife and a shield. And then he's got the falling balls on the lower left corner. And then he's got uh, another one on the right that's zoomed up where he's got bare hands and no shield. So it's kind of like you're strengthening your your character's uh, possessions here, kind of like Daggerath as well. So, that's so and it cool. looks to be a P-Mode 4 artifacted graphic type game. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, I just said that looks cool. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I'm interested to see how that, that fighting thing will, will work in specific. Yeah, that's a good idea. Paul makes some really good stuff, man. Yeah, and he's just been cranking them out lately. And a few other people replied that I mentioned that I ported Rick Adams Cocodal, but I didn't write a game. I just took bricks and just converted it to run and So, but uh, some other people mentioned some other things. Richard Kelly, who's cranked out a lot of good basic games lately, including uh, some rather good platformers, uh, is mentioned that he's still working on stuff too. And anything I've done, I've always released source code. Um, I might make an exception with Liberation, but I might not. Actually, I think I'll probably include it anyway, if I ever get back to it. I just was wondering on the panel here, besides Paul, who obviously is working on some new games like Buff Commando, is anybody else working on writing any games? Um, um, Nick, I think you're still kind of busy with the Work 180 project, but I think you, you're planning on getting back to some game writing in the not-too-distant future. I don't think yeah. you want to reveal plans yet, but I think you're getting close no to getting plans. started again. Yeah, so I do plan to start, but yeah, not yet. There is um, there is Andark three. I have to admit, I, I, I haven't worked on it much in the past few months because I've been focused on you know control. For, <laughs> yeah, the control uh, the, program. Yeah, the control program for EOU. So uh, that's that's taken up all my programming time in the last few months. So Andark three, not much progress lately, but um, but you know it's uh, still uh, a work uh, that's in progress. Cool. Anybody else? 
Okay. Why yes. Um, even though 2022 pretty much beat me down in real life from having any useful time to work on AX2 Nostromo, I did get some more forward motion. I'm working on the next design stage, which is um, the player moving around the map and colliding with walls and treasures and things like that uh, using my no ROM map keyboard code and all that. And that's working out fairly well. So I'm seem to be getting, I'm crossing fingers here, seem to be getting time and space to work on it again. And so I'm trying to do just that. Sweet. Cool. So it does sound like there's some active game development going on in the community, um, even just on our panel today. So that's cool. I definitely look forward to this. So I, I, this looks like a pretty good RPG style game. And, and Richard Kelly, like I said, he's done some really good platformers and basic recently that actually run at a decent clip too. Like they're not dog slow. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to see what he, he comes up with as well. Next up, uh, Jim Gary. The heck's that thing there? Jim Gary's um, got a couple of MC10 games this week. Um, so the first one here is called The Aztec Adventure, originally by Roberto B. in 1988. And I'll just let it play in the background here. Nice little intro graphic, which does look like a, an Aztec face. But it's basically a text adventure game. Um, not a super complicated one from looking at the command list and stuff here. So it's a bit more of a beginner's style, I would say. Uh, this was originally for the Italian Laser 300 computer. Now, Nick, I think this is one you've talked about before. I think it's a 6847, like a a VDG-based machine. I yeah. can't remember what the CPU is. I think it was a Z80 or something. Z80, I thought, yeah. Yeah. So this was fixed up and then translated into English originally by Gary Francis and then Jim Porter to the MC10. Now, Jim has a warning on this one, like he's done on a couple of his text adventure games recently, that... Uh, Spoiler alert, if you watch the entire video all the way through, it actually goes right through to winning the game. So it basically tells you how to solve it. So if you actually want the adventure part of it, then you probably don't want to watch it all the way through. But you can kind of get a feel of it from running here. And then the second one he did is called Spaceship Farmer, uh, originally by Mario Petengi in 1985. And this is also translated from Italian. Now, this he's got a bit of a request for the public here on this particular one. Um, he would like testers for this one to see if they can play it all the way through because uh, he wants to make sure the translation from Italian to English and his translation of the code is actually working. He has not solved this one all the way through himself yet, so he wants to have a few play testers to see if they can get through it. So if you have an MC10 or if you want to even translate it on the Coco um, and want to give it a shot and then let Jim know if, you get, you know, if you're able to solve it or not, then uh, he would appreciate the help. Next up, Chronologically Gaming, uh, which you mentioned before in the channel, does a, a weekday show for an hour, roughly at 9 o'clock um, Central Time, every weekday, so Monday through Friday, and covers about an hour. And he's trying to go chronologically go through every video game ever made on any platform, the arcade, home console, uh, home computers, etc. And he's currently in 1981, so the last a couple of episodes, he's had a few Coca-related ones. So I'll just play a little bit here, but this is a space assault. Our next that game sounds, is space that assault sounds crazy. for the TRS-80 color <laughs> computer. 
Looks like a space and uh, yeah, he actually calls it crazy. Actually, we look at his little. There's like tens of thousands of games out there. How how the heck? Uh, anyway, well, yeah. I mean, they're going in the beginning, like from 1971 till you know 1979, yeah, isn't too bad. But yeah, now yeah, it's 70s just would be easy. But the the you know as time goes on, the the number of games just balloons. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than tens of thousands. I'd say there's hundreds of thousands at this point. Yeah, you include all the probably problems. right. Yeah, I mean, probably the Coco itself, right. like once I just from kind of roughly figuring out how many more I still got to go. I mean, the Coco's gonna be around fifteen hundred games, and that's not including any type-ins from any magazine. Score points for every enemy. Yeah, he has a fairly thorough review. He goes through the manual. He goes a bit of the gameplay. Um, he goes through the different, you know, the regular beginner mode, the expert mode, where you don't have any uh, barriers and stuff to hide behind, etc. And then the one he did on the following episode of that was Project Neva, which is actually one of my favorites. Now he didn't give this one a great rating because it's already been done by Star Raiders, and he tries to do his ratings based on what else was out at the time on other platforms. Now, it's a fairly good clone of uh, Star Raiders, and there's a bunch of different difficulty levels. I think there's four basic games, two target modes, and then the two space commander modes, and each of those has 10 skill levels. So it's 40 levels of play, basically. But this is always a favorite of mine. It requires two analog joysticks. You can't play this with digital at all. You'll never be able to refuel if you do that. Um, but it's one of my favorites. It's one of the very first two games I ever bought. The other was Skiing. Anyway, check those out. He also does interactive with the chat just like we do. So if you're happy to be on the show and you, you, you know, he plays everything under the sun type thing. So I've been helping with a few pet games I played back in the day, some Apple II stuff I played back in the day, and of course, Google stuff. So if you guys want to join in, if you're interested in gaming in general, arcade, home console or home computer, and even some of the little electronic handheld type things too, there's LED and LCD based ones. He covers those as well. So there's just tons of stuff. And as you said, this show will never end because it's a running, moving target. Next up, the vintage is the new, or sorry, the vintage is the new old. Um, announced the results from the Tier City Programming Contest. And this is actually done by the Trash Talkers. I think, if I remember correctly, it's from their newsletter. And I think Dusty's the guy who does that in England or in the UK somewhere anyway. So they had their winners here. And this is a basically all tier of Sadie. So this is model one, two, three, four, six thousand, two, four P, you know, everything in between, and the Cocos and the MC10. So they have two different parts of this, but basically the challenge of this year is to make a Wordle clone. And <laughs> they have two different main categories. One's called beauty and one called beast. So beauty is the one that has the best presentation and looks the best. And Rick Adams entered his version in. <laughs> And uh, this was the toughest one for them to figure out the winner for, because it was a really good one done on the Model 4 as well uh, by a guy named Roland Archer. And his actually ended up inching out Rick's slightly. I mean, I think Rick's looks a bit better because, of course, we've got color and stuff, but he also added stuff like stats and things on his version that Rick's doesn't have. So it uh, kind of looks a little bit better because it keeps track of you know your statistics for various games as you're going along. So it just barely eked it out. And then the other one, unfortunately, there was no Coco one listed here, though I did see some uh, talk back that somebody had submitted a Coco one. And this, the Beast one is basically, how small can you compress this with the complete word list? And uh, he, the guy who did the Coco one, you didn't get mentioned, but I guess you're going to correct that afterwards. Um, he was on the, you know, the bigger size program scale, not not the biggest. So he did compress it somewhat. 
but uh, there was quite a bit of variety as to how much it got crunched down. Because most, like I think the base one's like 40K. And this guy here, Roland Archer, uh, got it down to just under 15K. So he compressed it pretty darn good. And uh, if you read the uh, newsletter, the tier, December issue of the Tears 8-bit newsletter there, you can see all the different uh, entries and how they did as far as compressing it down goes. There's just the two entries in the beauty side. So um, if you have interest on in any of the Tears 80s, there's definitely, and they're all available for download, so you can go check them out. So even if, if, if you're into other tier cities besides the Coco, you can actually get some of these other seven versions or whatever it is that uh, you can give it a shot to if you have a model one, three, four, P or whatever. Next up, this just came in this morning. Um, Simon was going to try to make it on the show today. I don't know if you managed to make it or not. I, I haven't seen him on the panel, so I'm guessing he probably didn't get a chance to. But uh, he's been working on finishing off a project that we mentioned last week. So there's a... Uh, Japanese gaming system, a rather odd one that probably didn't sell too well from the looks of it, that is based on the VDG chip as well. And it actually had a 6801 CPU, which is similar to the 6803 and the MC10. There's a couple, I think there's more timer interrupts on it and a few other little bits that are a little bit different, but basically it's the same core. And uh, somebody started pointing to the MC10, never finished it. So Simon's kind of tackled that and he wants to try to get it to run with just a stock MC10 with a 16K RAM expansion. It doesn't need an MCX32 SD, et cetera, and some of the fancier MCX128 or whatever. So he wants to get it running on that. So he's actually got a bit of progress here and he's actually got some of the graphics up and running. So it's a fairly short little video, but I'll play a little bit so you can just kind of see it. And for the audio listeners, it, trust me, it looks like Frogger. There's still some glitches and stuff here because he's been converting it over and switching things around from the way the original version ran. But it's got all the scrolling, you know, it's got less lanes. It's got three lanes of uh, traffic and three lanes on the river, which is colored yellow for some reason. But um, it definitely, you can tell it's Frogger just from a quick glance. So I'm hoping he can manage to fi finish this off and get it to fit in the 20K. And that might be another game on challenge we can do. What do you think, Ken? Hey, I'm Kurt. eating. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks good. <laughs> hey, Kurt, lunch here, man. <laughs> I'll stand in for Ken since I'm not uh, eating, but uh, yeah, it looks good. It'll be uh, under consideration, and uh, hopefully, sometime soon in the new year, we'll try it out. Yeah, I mean, we've we've done a few MC10 games before when we did the um, MC10 special, so. Yeah, and I there's been a lot of mm -hmm. stuff developed that's, you know, both Coco and MC10. A lot of the cross-platform stuff has actually been pretty good. Yeah, I've been trying to push more for MC10 stuff, but you know how the high the uh, game on high council is. <laughs> yeah, and just out of curiosity, for everybody on the panel here, like, um, obviously you can play it in an emulator. There's the VMC10 emulator. MAME can play it, I think, too. XOR can play MC10 as well. So there's options if you don't have a real one. But who here on the panel actually has a physical MC10? I do not. I do. I, I do. do. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I'm uh, looking forward to this. I think it makes the MC10 look really good. So I would say over half the panel has MC10s. Is that about right? Could be, yeah. Yep. I've got an MC10 and an Alice. Yeah. I even have oh. a Coco DV inside mine. Yeah, and actually, you can you can put a Coco VGA in it too with that spacer that Brennan did. So yeah, well, hopefully one day the Coco DV will work in the MC10. But 
I was going to tell you, Curtis, um, Simon did message me and he ended up having some uh, company show up he hadn't expected. So he's going to shoot for next week. Okay. Well, we'll probably have another update. So he did quite a bit of updating here uh, just the past week. So anyway, it looks really good. It's, um, I mean, obviously it's because of the way the video RAM is not wired in past 4K. You can't use the higher res modes, the highest res modes, I should say. That the 6847 VDG chip can handle, but it's still it's a basically a P mode one game, and it looks pretty good. I think I think it uh, it's you know scrolling at a good enough clip, it'll definitely play fine, and uh, look forward to seeing it completed. And we'll stop the share now so I can switch to the regular news. Scroll up on my notes. Okay. So first one is TRC retro programming, which used to be color computer programming. Um, we've been going back and forth to the comments on his videos because he was trying to figure out what use P copy could be for and exactly what what will how does it exactly work, etc. So I sent him actually to take a look at some of Steve's old videos when he's going through the extended basic manuals. And then also Steve had done some uh, little spaceship animations that he did on his own, which really showed that you could use it for, you know, copying backgrounds and stuff hidden so that you're not watching stuff get drawn over top stuff and flickering like mad. And so he actually watched those videos. He didn't fully gather it all, but he got really far on it and, and it has it actually doing some pretty decent, you know, for a beginner, just learning how Peacopy works, animations going. I'll just play a little clip in the middle. Gonna yeah, run like this program. Double here. buffer. I want you to take a good look at this. Kind of. It's not quite, but okay. What you're looking at here, <coughs> guys, is P mode four. You can't see my hand, but I'm holding up four fingers. This is P mode four. It's the high resolution just um, option <laughs> available. Oh, it's actually moving it around here, There's. It's black and white. By the way. Okay, so I can better explain what's going on. So, I mean, one way you could do that where it restores the background would be to, like, get what's underneath, put it over top, but then you get even more flicker than it was showing here. What he's doing here, basically, is he's taking, and he's drawing these grid lines you can see across the screen here on every page. So, P14 takes four pages. Each page <laughs> is one and a half K graphics frame. So, what he's doing is he's got a fifth page hidden in the back that you can't see because it's not being displayed that actually has the house and the three trees on the bottom. And then he drew the ghost in the third page and then he did a get and then he drew all the houses and stuff on this P15 page. And then he P copied five to four. So he's basically copying that background and then he just puts the ghost over top. And the effect is anytime you move the ghost, it'll just immediately P copy, so redraw the background and then immediately put the ghost back on. Now that's not perfect because you it does have the little black border because it's a rectangle you're putting, but the effect is actually surprisingly good, and you know speed wise you know it's it's not too shabby now, either, and you don't have to like um, manually redraw the background. You're doing drawings like down here. This takes weeks to to make. So once again, I, I like him following his channel because he's learning the stuff as he goes and he asks questions and then, you know, some of us viewers, including myself, you responded, you know helping him out and stuff. He's, he's been learning at a rapid clip here and he's got some pretty cool ideas for games and other programs for that matter too. He'd like that Morse code one we covered last week. So it's just, just fun watching him you know, do this whole exploring thing. This is kind of why I got into the Coco in the first place because we had one of the best basics on the planet when the Coco came out. And it's just a fun, fun thing to explore. 
So definitely go check that out. Uh, next up, Ron Klein announced that the Cocoa Pie now has main version 0.251 package available for it through the updating system that's built in. So on the Cocoa side of things, uh, Tim Linder was pretty busy. Um, he's added a bunch of things that you can see on the screen here on the 8-bit or the Cocoa Pie project uh, webpage that Ron runs. So basically, there's now a placeholder for the deluxe color computer. Now, of course, this is the uh, one that was supposed to be released in 1984 that had the enhanced keyboard similar to the Cocoa 3, had a built-in hardware RS-232 pack right in the case itself, had a much extended ROM with a RAM drive driver, enhanced basic, uh, the AY sound chip for three voice, basically the same sound chip that was in the speech pack. It was all going to be in one big Cocoa 1 size case and then got canceled after 50,000 motherboards were made. And then they ended up in a landfill except for a few. So Tim has been working with uh, some other people that do have either some of the original prototypes or you know some of the documentation that existed at the time. And he's going to try to re-implement the Deluxe Color Computer in MAME. So we'll be able to actually see it running with the proper hardware in there. Um, so he's, he's got that going. It's not fully ready to go yet, but he started on it at any rate. He did some bug fixes. There's a few oddball things uh, between the 679 6309 for certain instructions like exchange and transfer that were not quite fully functioning properly. Uh, he added some stuff in with some various real-time clock chips that were supported by the Cocoa back in the day, but haven't been in main before. Um, general cleaning up of the code. Uh, fix some other behaviors on the transfer between mixed size registers between 16-bit that were causing some issues. Um, Disto S Supercontroller 2 uh, now has the no-halt functionality added in properly, which is like one I used back in 87, 88, which is awesome. Uh, plus the uh, mini expansion bus for the Supercontroller 2 by Disto is supported with a couple cards already ready to go in. And those would allow you to add in different hardware and you could pick and choose between like, I think Disto ended up with some like seven or eight different cards some were single function, some were double function, some were triple function, some were quadruple function. And he started to emulate some of those. So you can actually basically rebuild the entire distal system under MAME. So it's a lot of cool stuff happening there. And just out of general updates. I mean, Tim has been doing a really good job. I've been watching his uh, RSS feed of what he's been doing in MAME. There's been times where he's cranking out like 10 things in a day. And he's doing stuff every week. Like he's not really pausing too much, except maybe to record shows with AJ. So... Um, good to see all that stuff happening. But when he gets to the Deluxe Coco running, I'm definitely going to play around with that a little bit because it's uh, it's an interesting bit of history that we, you know, we've seen in the, the Coco history book that Bill and uh, Boise did, but not too many people have actually had a chance to really see it running. And it'd be really cool to see that. Uh, this one we kind of already covered, so I won't say too much about it, but Brian Weiser posted the pictures of that uh, high-tech electronic sign company and a shot of the screen. Uh, with the ROM that booted up with the basic program hidden under it. And any further information, you can uh, hit up Brian either on our Discord or on Facebook in the Cocoa Group. At long last, Karen has released XROR version 1.3, where if you save files in the emulator, it will really save them onto your disk images so you don't lose them as soon as you quit. And thank you, Karen, for finally doing that. Um, I'm just bugging him a bit here, but uh, that that's a huge thing for me because there's been multiple times where I fired up XWR as an emulator 
to do some actual programming in, you know, sometimes I use VCC, sometimes I use MAM. I try to mix it up so I can see if I'm hitting any bugs in Nitrous 9 or something that uh, are unique to a certain emulator so I can report bugs. But there's been a few times where I've done some basic programming or whatever and, and then saved it thinking it's great. And then I go reboot it to check it out, say in 6309 mode or something. And, oh, it didn't save anything. So thank thank you very much, Kieran. I know I bugged you about it. I'm one of the people that you mentioned uh, for bugging you about that, but I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> Am I the only one that didn't have a problem with this? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because I turned it turned it on. I turned on writing right to disk a long time ago. It, I mean, obviously, Karen disagrees with me on this, but it should never have been the default he had in the first place. It should have added some saves. Because you're not really emulating it if you're not actually saving stuff when you tell it to, in my my view. But I noticed, like, there was just another one just after it was released here, but it wasn't too common knowledge that 1.3 had been released. That there, there was another post on Facebook. Somebody else said the same thing. I just did this, typed in this program for magazine, saved it, went to restart it the next day, and it's gone. <laughs> so I'm glad he made the change. And of course, if you are used to his old method of having it as a temporary write into like RAM, basically and it disappears when you quit, you can reset that back up using the method that Slippy just mentioned. And this is his little blog, which I didn't really know he had. I know he had manuals you can download, but he actually has a little uh, thing called recent changes and he actually goes through whatever he's changed. So I will just read verbatim. Version 1.3 changes the default floppy disk write-back behavior. The old behavior erred on the side of protecting image files from accidental modification. Enough people have complained about this, or at least the small number that have complained have done so loudly. I'm probably <laughs> one of those. Uh, that extra will now rewrite changes to the backing file by default. Um, and you can you know, set the no disk write-back option to revert to the old behavior. Now, one thing he does mention here, which is a really good idea, Xor will still rename the old version to have a back extension. So if you did accidentally write something you didn't want to, you will have the backup of the original one plus the new one with a save. So you can revert back. Um, so that that's, that's a good idea because I do understand where he's coming from. It's just that 95% of the time, I would prefer it to actually save because I'm trying to write stuff under XROR and I want it to save what I've done as changes. So thank you once again, Karen. And XROR is an excellent emulator, so. Alan Huffman was also rather busy this week. In fact, he just added some this morning, and they're XWare related. So I'll well do those first since we're just talking about XWare. So basically, he goes through XWare, and I think I believe he's running on the Mac version in this particular case, but he goes through how to do cassette loads and saves using the emulator, how to set up cassette files, how to create new ones, et cetera. And then he does the same for floppy disks. Um, now, this is running with Cocoa uh, floppy disk. I don't think he did a Dragon DOS one. I didn't get a chance to fully watch all these yet. Uh, but earlier in the week, what he was doing is he was digging out some old disks of stuff that he did for his dad's company uh, back in the late 80s, around 1988. And there are little graphic animations, little advertisements that his dad used to take to trade shows and stuff for his uh, business. And there's multiple videos of those here, and some of them are like eight minutes long. So I'm not going to play everything of everything, but I'll play some little clips so you can kind of guys see what, what what's going on here. He had this really cool spray can effect which I'll play this one here first. And Karen, you'll notice it's running XWare. And of course, for the audio listeners, you can't really see, but it's drawing a brick wall, bespectling it with little things to make it look like a worn brick wall. And then it'll simulate a spray paint of a message being sprayed onto the, 
the bricks here. So it has that kind of spotty look. It's not a solid line. All done in basic. And he did this in 88. So not, not too within two years of the cocoa being released here. And that's a, that's a fair bit of uh, drawing and experimentation. I probably wouldn't have had the patience to do this myself, but kudos to Alan for doing it. But the, he would have the cocoa set up at his dad's booth and he'd basically be having this up and running. And then people walking by could see these animations. It would cycle through them all and it would have phone numbers and stuff for the business, et cetera. So it's uh, helping his dad with the business, which is really cool. So that's that's one. He's got a couple of spray paint type demos, some other drawing stuff here. Now, the 1988 Houston Boat Computer Show, I will kind of skip through bits and pieces of it here. Um, but this is the kind of the grandmaster daddy one of them all. It's an eight-minute demo. So it's actually not just one screen that it kind of draws and stops. It actually goes through a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it's simple, some of it more complex. And then again, apologies to the audio listeners. I can't really convey properly what this looks like in audio only. And says here, it was created on January 6th, 1988, assuming he's going by North American style of dates. There you see the uh, the phone number and the little logo for his dad's business. And drawing this in basic, man, that, that would take patience. <laughs> Doing cursive writing in basic. It's palette animations there to make it animated. I'll let one more go through and then I'll uh, stop it for now. But you can check it out. There's a lot of really cool. He's letting a lot of palette animation techniques and a lot of Fancy drawing and stuff in here. He's got his own couple of custom fonts. He did the draw H draw statements too, which is really nice. So th thanks, Alan, for posting. I'm one. It's historical, and but two, it's 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 cool to see where he went with just plain old basic back in the day. He did some pretty impressive stuff there. Next up, uh, Carl England posted an update. Uh, we covered this last week, where he's attempting to write software that can back up copy protected disks directly to the Cocoa SDC from a real floppy. Now, copy protection can do all kinds of weird stuff, like, you know, change the track number to something that we're skipping tracks or weird sector numbers, CRC errors on purpose, all kinds of things that were used for doing copy protection. And he's gotten, you know, odd tracks numbers and odd sector numbers and stuff kind of working already. But he was having some problems with some of the CRC stuff. Like if he had a purposeful wrong CRC on a copy protected disk, it was not transferring across. And he was starting to believe that he just couldn't get it to work with the SDC. But he did post an update recently in the last day or two that basically said he's had some success now, but he thinks that from some stuff he just did in the last day or two that he might eventually be able to get it to work. He kind of figures he thinks he knows what's going on. So I'm going to definitely be monitoring this because it'd be really cool to be able to back up copy protected disks directly to DMK images on an SDC. Because right now, the only way I've been able to do some of the really wacky ones is I sent them to Tim Lindner years back when he had a, a cat weasel, the predecessor to the uh, grease weasel for reading raw disk formats and stuff. And he actually managed to make a few DMKs out of that back in the day. Of course, these won't be DMKs technically. These will be, what is the um, extension on the SDC? SDF. SMF. SMF or something? SDF. SDF, thank you. Which is really close to a DMK. It's just very slightly different header, if I remember correctly. It's got a little bit of extra information that Darren wanted. 
Okay. So anyway, a uh, big, big kudos to Carl, because this will allow some people that have rare software that's carbon protected, that's not on the archive yet, and you can't back it up normally, so there's no way to get it off to put it on the archive. This, as a solution, if Carl can get it to fully work, should solve that problem, and we might see some of the missing software I was mentioning last week start to be able to reappear and get uploaded to the archive. So uh, go for it, Carl, is all I can say on that one. Next up, Mike Roja, um, basically talking about the Coco DB board, which I think Sloopy mentioned earlier. Um, he said he loves having it for his Coco One, but he wasn't a fan of cutting the center post so it would fit properly. So what he's done here, and you can see the picture here if you're on the video version of the show, is he designed a quick relocator board for it, and that works great. And you can see it here, and he actually calls it the Coco DB board relocator for the Coco One. And basically, it just shifts things off enough that it doesn't hit the post and you don't have to cut the post off. It's kind of a neat little uh, solution to the problem. Because of course the layout on, on the Coco ones and some of the different Coco twos, there's enough difference that some of these types of things happen. Like some of uh, the Coco twos, the RF cans and totally different angles and at different uh, mounting positions, et cetera, you know, on the motherboard. So, you know, certain boards made for certain spacing don't work on or don't fit properly in the other ones. So, any of you have a Coco One and do want to get the Coco DV without having to cut some of the plastic posts off from the inside of the machine, contact Mike. He said he's got a few others there for sale. I haven't checked to see if he sold those up, but I'm sure if he gets enough requests, he'll probably make some more. Next up, we have a sequel to another video we covered recently from Retro Tech Repair, and that was trying to fix a Coco Two homebrew composite mod. And I'll play a little of the intro here so you can just kind of get a feel for it. On today's RetroTech Repair, we're going to be investigating some sound problems with our Color Computer 2 and using discrete components to do a homebrew mod to the RF modulator, giving us a composite video out. Now, I want to mention he gave a lot of shoutouts to Alan at AC's 8-Bit Zone uh, for some of the tutorials and stuff that AC has put up on the channel, um, on his channel. So uh, big kudos to to Alan for doing all that stuff that this guy used all that for. And he actually got it working. He got the sound working. I won't let you watch the video to learn exactly what will happen. And then he does some demos here. And because you can tell by his accent, he's from the UK here, he actually gets to see some games in comp or in uh, artifacting for the first time ever. Now, one of the ones he picked here, uh, obviously, was designed for the dragon. was meant to be with black and white, so it doesn't really do it justice. And you've got dungeons like here, of course. But then he starts getting stuff like Zax on it. You're actually seeing it with the full artifact colors as they were, you know, God intended them to be as we've been playing them in NTSC in North America. So um goes through a couple of games. The sounds are working now fine. The composite quality is actually quite good. Now, one thing, I don't know if he watches our channel, and hopefully if he does, he catches this. But you'll notice on the left side of the screen, he's got that yellow bar band thing that's showing up and i do remember that that is something that is known to happen as certain parts get old and if you replace those i think it fixes it do any of you hardware types happen to remember what exactly that is caused by isn't that the 555 yeah that's what i'm i would think yeah so if you replace that part then that, that should fix that in most cases um if you're something that's nearby it it's Basically, the timing is getting thrown off. Okay. So just in case he doesn't hear it, I mean, you guys still have the show notes in the uh, the Discord there. So if one of you hardware gurus wants to maybe just pop in and give him a comment, 
that that's a way he can fix that problem or at least, you know, try to fix it or give him some clues anyway. Because by the time I get to there, try to answer, then I'll forget everything you guys just said and I won't have a clue to tell. Anyway, it's a good video. Um, watching him explore and getting him up and running and how excited he was when he finally got the sound working. Because originally he got the audio or video working, but he had no sound at all. Next up, this was a rather interesting one I just kind of stumbled on earlier in the week here. So this is a Portuguese YouTube channel called Old Players. And they did two and a half hour live stream talking about the Terra City Color Computer and its clones. Now we had some of them on when we had the Brazil retro show and they were showing us some of these older machines uh, like the CP400, et cetera. Uh, the Com Deck, Dex, something like that. I can't remember what the other one's called. But there was a bunch of them that went through. And here you get to see them up and close and you actually get to see interviews with uh, several of the people that were at that show that we've actually had on our show before. Now, of course, they're all ta talking in Portuguese, which I don't understand, but Google Translate does a pretty good job. You can get the gist of it. Sometimes it gets a bit thrown off. Uh, was they it, go through of the Codemax? Yeah, Codemax is one of them. Okay. But it's a two and a half hour stream talking about these. And they actually do some mentioning of the Coco 3 later on, which was not directly sold there. Um, but they talk about all the clones, they talk about the Cocos themselves. Um, I'll just fast forward a little bit here. So Luciano Scharf obviously was one of the guys we saw at the Brazil show. Juan Castro, I've, I know I've seen him on Facebook. And Daniel Campos, I know I've seen him on Facebook. I don't know if I've seen Robson Franca on there. And then the Bronco RP2000, the upper left corner here, that's the actual host to the show itself. And Luciano, of course, uh, like he did at the Brazil show, he owns a lot of these machines. So you keep bringing them out to show people. And they'd showed some old ads for them and stuff here, too. Like, here's one of the Coca clones that had two built-in floppy drives. Uh, which is not what I believe they showed the show because this is kind of like almost unobtainium. So there's a lot of cool, interesting stuff in here. It's, it's actually worth turning on Google Translate to watch this one. There's some cool stuff we've not heard of before or have not seen before that they'll demonstrate. So, um, I, I you know, I wish Google Translate was perfect. It's not. There's a few cases there, particularly with Juan Castro, that the uh, his audio level is a little bit lower, a little bit choppy, so that the Google Translate just blanks out for like 20 seconds and doesn't print anything. Um, but like I said, you can get the gist of most of it. So there's, there's just definitely some stuff to learn there. Next up, this is just to make people jealous, I think. Um, Nine Figure Tom on YouTube, and he's also on our Coco Discord under the same name. <laughs> I uh, did a short video showing the Gimme X 256 color screen image with scrolling vertically to show the whole thing. So this is a real Coco generating this with the Gimme X. It's just a very quick little bump up and down, take a look at the scene in 256 color mode. And this is a 256 by 225 pixel, 256 color screen. So when the chip shortage ends and Ed's able to get Gimme Xs into production again, this is the type of stuff you get to look forward to. Wonder what size that is. 256 by 225. No, I mean bytes. Oh, um, I do remember he streamed it in using the Coco STC streaming function because it won't fit in 64K at once. So I wonder if it would fit on a floppy. Yes, I think this one, well, yeah, because it's, it's narrow. It's not a full width one. So yeah, I think it just barely might. Yeah. And I don't know if it's compressed or anything. So, uh, Next up, Sheldon McDonald did a couple of updates. Now, we've covered he's been making this new IDE that is actually going to serve the purpose of helping you create code and running emulators automatically to test the code for both the Cocoa 
and for a Sega Genesis. Um, so it emulate or supports the 68000 and 68809 instruction sets. And he did two videos here to do updates on his IDE for this. Um, the first one is just kind of giving you a basic update to the whole thing itself. Um, here he's playing around with some other stuff on the forums. And then skipping over, you can kind of see where he's entering the header fire for a Sega Genesis. I think this particular video is more Sega related than, than Coke related. And then his second one, he actually starts doing some programming tutorials. So here he's doing 68K and 69 loads and stores. And uh, I've got to pause at this particular screenshot because he's got basically the register sets for both of the CPUs side by side. So you can kind of see how they compare. And of course, they're both Motorola chips. So 6709, he's showing here as A and B combined to D as a 16-bit register. And then he's got X, Y, U, S, which are 16-bit index registers. And the last two are also stacks. And then the condition code register and the PC register. And then the 68K has got, you know, the D0 through D7, A0 through A7, which is your data and your addressing registers. And um, program counter is there too. So it's kind of comparing the the architectures a bit there. And then it kind of goes through like how you do loads and stores and, and do different things with the two CPUs and how to run all this stuff from within his IDE where actually we'll fork the emulator so you can test this stuff out while you're learning and showing how easy it is to switch back and forth between the two CPUs. If you ever wanted to make a dual project um, for both you know computers, you could technically do it with the IDE. These videos are quite long at like 20 to 40 minutes, so I'm not going to play them here, but uh, definitely if you're interested in some development for the Genesis and the Coco, they're definitely worth checking out. And he's also got libraries for these here too, so you don't have to write all your code right raw from scratch. He's actually got some routines for both CPUs that you can just call with certain parameters to do stuff for you. It's kind of like system calls in, in OS 9 or, or some of the ROM hook calls in uh, BASIC. This is a cool one here. I'm just going to leave it black for a second here. But um, TG Bay Chris, and I've covered a lot of his videos before because he does a lot of Tandy stuff. He's done stuff with like Xenix on a Model 16 with a Cocoa hooked up as a terminal. He's done some Nitrous 9 demos. He's done standard Cocoa demos. He's done a lot of Model 4, Model 3 demos as well, hooking up various hardware, et cetera. He decided to do something different. He said he was kind of thinking, trying to think something else, to, you know, freshen up his channel. So this is an experiment, and he wants feedback on this. And if people like it enough, then he's going to do more for some of the other machines in his collection. But this is on the Coco 3. And he's calling it Tandy Time. And basically what he's doing is he's creating the TJB shopping network. So he's kind of modeling it on the old home shopping network, the way he's presenting it. Like he's trying to sell you the Coco 3, though, of course, he's not really selling you his Coco 3 because he wants to keep it. And as a bit of a, a shock as to how much eBay prices are compared to normally actually has in the corner, like the home shopping used to have the uh, prices. He's actually got like the eBay price versus what the original retail price is. And now they're selling for twice as much as Tandy originally sold them for, not taking into consideration uh, inflation, of course. But he's doing it in a, in a, a semi-comical way. It's actually quite good. I'm going to play a little bit more of this video. It's 30 minutes. I'm not playing all of it, obviously. But I just wanted to get you guys get a bit of feeling. I'm gonna let him do the intro to kind of explain what he's doing. Then I'll fast forward so you can kind of see his his pitch as he's going through it. Greetings, everyone. I'm TJB Chris, and I'm on this side of the camera. I should also mention he was actually uh, first time I've seen him live, like with his face, et cetera, was actually at the Glenside end of year gathering. He actually popped on to uh, that that call. I know Grant, you were there, and a few others were there too. So it was good seeing him. Hopefully, he can come out to a fest. I'd love to meet him in person. Woo. Tonight we're going to try something different. And, uh, Is that loud enough or should I pump the volume up? For this special, I'd like to do something a little different. I'd like to do something 
to kind of go over my collection, but I don't really do book report videos. Um, book report videos are, you know, this is a computer, it's got a Dorito for a processor, and it's got two nibbles of RAM, and it runs this software, and it was developed in Azerbaijan. Um, I've never really felt like I was suited to it. A lot of other YouTubers really actually do a very good job of it and really do videos that are high quality, and well, this channel isn't exactly high quality. But I thought, well, maybe I can fix that a little bit, and maybe you'd like to see some of the machines you don't normally see on camera. So I thought my own unique way to do this would be to combine it with something else I love. And folks, that is cable television. This, if I can avoid knocking things over, is a Scientific Atlanta 8580 cable box. It's actually not. It's actually a Raspberry Pi and an Arduino, trying to avoid the reflection there, in the box. And I built a little custom board for the display buttons to make them work and the display changes and everything like that. But it was an 8580. And I was fascinated with all of cable television. When I was coming up, this box was really kind of coming into its own. Um, it was really kind of the dominant technology in at least Scientific Atlanta systems. And I was fascinated with delivery, the head end, authorization, scrambling. I was also interested in the content. There was a lot of great content. And cable television in the late 80s and early 90s, well, it was finding its stride, really started to get good, but also still had some of that quirkiness that it had in the 80s when it was finding itself. And one of the things I really enjoyed as I put my cable box away was CVN, the Cable Value Network. And after uh, QVC got a hold of them, I think QVC bought them, we went to QVC on my cable system. Small cable system, one shopping channel. So I thought, what better way, what better way to introduce my collection of systems to all of you and get myself in front of the camera than to introduce you to the TJB Shopping Network and TJB Chris's Tandy Time, where all the computers are mine and none are for sale. The prices you see, are uh, the retail prices, whatever Radio Shack was selling it for when it was first listed in the catalog, if I could find it. And the eBay price is either the price I paid for it or whatever price I could find um, on eBay now. So I think last time I checked, a color computer 3 was going for about 400 bucks. Your, your mileage may vary. Anyway, so if you like this, I'll do it again for other machines in my collection. If you really like it, I'll do it for some of the non-computer Tandy Radio Shack stuff I have floating around. So anyway, that's basically what he's shooting for, is kind of doing the simulation of a home shopping network type thing and going through his collection. I think it's a great idea. If you go watch through it, it's actually quite entertaining. I'll play a little clip in the middle here. You can kind of see the actual fun. presentation. Sorry, go ahead, Alan. That's definitely fun. I like it. Yeah. So I'll fast forward here. He's kind of going through the connections. I'll get him when he's present, presenting software and stuff here, too. And spoil clip from the middle there. Back to the color computer three. You've seen the flexibility, you've seen the versatility, but have you seen the ease of use? Let's take a look, folks, at <laughs> the color computer three. He's not talking nitrous nine in this case. <laughs> in operation. And folks, what I'm gonna do here is One I'm gonna start the color tables. computer three up. Without software, simply turn on my screen, turn on my my computer here. Make sure I can see that the screen is on. I have to look back because the laptop's behind me here. And the first thing you're going to notice is a friendly, warm green glow. I heard somewhere that green 
is soothing. If you want the key to serenity, Actually, it's healing as we found out color recently. Three. The green screen will bring you joy and calming, relaxing feelings while you work with it. I mentioned the multitude of displays before, folks. The, the screen that's up here now is the 32-com screen, best for your television. If you're working with this on a regular color television, you want the 32-character screen. 32-character screen looks just fine and meets all of your needs. Is that why the Hulk is It even green? has the ability to emulate lowercase. <laughs> Though, because of compatibility, it does so in reverse video. But you can get true lowercase in this display. And if you use a advanced, easy-to-use operating system, such as Nitrous 9 Easy of Use, or any of the other advanced operating systems for the computer, should you decide to buy a Coco STC. You, too, can use lowercase on this screen. But let's take a look at a better screen for your monitor users. Maybe you weren't like me. You had the scratch for a composite monitor or your TV had composite inputs. The 40-column screen is for you. And this one does show true lowercase. Color Computer 3 also supports multiple colors. Of course, we've been talking about the Color Computer 3. You saw it was Red Warrior. Let's see some more colors now. Look at that. I mean, you get the idea. It's, it's definitely worth watching. It's a very... Interesting and fun way to present uh, going through his collection, and I quite liked it. Um, yeah. I'm also going to try to see if I can arrange for uh, him to come on for an interview. He does want to come on the show, but I would love to have a full interview with him because he's he's done some really cool projects on his YouTube page, some involving the Coco and some involving the Coco and other machines and some involving just some of the other tiers, say these. So, uh, and he's very, very knowledgeable. I mean, he's done some pretty low-level stuff as well. So I would love to get him on for a full-blown interview. I'll be seeing if we can arrange that. Next up, we have Antonio Caballero, who's uh, we've mentioned before. He's been working on a duplicate box of the original Direct Connect modem pack that Tandy used to sell. And he's basically got it to the point where he's done working on it. Um, and he's got to kind of side-by-side -side compare here with the original. The color is a little bit different. Now, part of that might be from fading and stuff, too, but it looks pretty close. Um so I guess he's he's actually put up the files. So maybe he wants to redo that if they want to make their collection like of a really ratchet box that's just been destroyed over the years. You can actually make a replacement and get it printed out and have something that actually looks almost brand new. So and and you at first glance you wouldn't even know it's not the original. So anyway, if you want that, that's on the Tandy Coco uh, group on Facebook. Next up. Uh, Steve Strobridge, you might know him from a show called Coco Talk. Uh, he actually uploaded a request of a few people were asking for drawing fonts on the screen in basic using the draw command, because you can scale them and do all kinds of things, even rotate them 90 degrees. And uh, Steve posted up, and I, I'm trying to remember the name of the game. He was making Galactic something or other, or something along that line. He had made a game a few years back in basic that actually he did take some time Cosmic to draw aliens. fonts. What's that? Cosmic Aliens. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. And uh, so he's posted up and he said the routine is free to use by anyone. So he's actually officially given permission that anybody can use this in their own program and use it with impunity. And then he's got mentioned here, he's got a few other fonts that he did using that same technique here. If, if they want those and you can request those specific fonts off him too. So that's available on Facebook as an image. You can download fonts disk in the uh, Cocoa group in the files section. Next up, I'll let Ken talk about this one. I'll mute and let you do the talk over. Uh, hopefully you're done eating by now. Uh, yeah, I'm done. <clears throat> I don't know. I just said everything you told me to say in this video. 
<laughs> no, I just took it. No, a, if you did uh, everything I told you to say in the video, it'd be about six hours long. I know. I had to edit it down. <laughs> um, I took a look at the, the version 1.0.0 of Nitrous 9 EOU and uh, just pointed out a few of the things that interested me in it. And uh, Actually, what I'm showing on the screen right now, if Fred's still on the call here, this is his new control program, version 3. Yeah, well, I'm here. <laughs> So, yeah, I covered, uh, I'll just talk a little bit about a few of the uh, speed upgrades for basic 09 and run, the run B command and uh, talked about the uh, program here. And most importantly, talked about the games that are on there now. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I think on your clothes that you were playing one of the games that uh, once once you do some full testing, I just want to make sure it's not too easy for a game on challenge. Mind you, after playing Gravatar, that might be a nice uh, yeah. <laughs> band-aid over top. <laughs> Having something super easy that everybody can play for four hours before they die. I want to thank you for doing that because actually I linked this up in the Retro Computing Roundtable group and a few other places that actually have mentioned Nitrous 9 being officially, you know, the ease of use version being officially out of beta. And uh, I mean, the point of videos like this is to not tell people that already know about it. Obviously, you guys already know most of the stuff anyway from listening to me yammer on with it for hours and hours every show. But uh, to get people that are either new to Nitrous Night itself on the Cocoa, but are familiar with Cocos or have never used a Cocoa before in their life, because you've got so many good emulators out now to be able to actually try this stuff out and kind of entice them, you know, join us type thing. Yep. Show them how easy it is to do this on the Cocoa. Yeah. And then you went through a lot of the, like the Jim Gary games. So I'll give Jim a, yeah. give a plug here. As you can tell by the G-Soft. He did a couple custom icons like Star Trek and a few others, but most of the time he used his G-Soft thing. I was going to ask you, actually, did you change the background color in red on purpose so that the Canadian flag would show up more red maple leaf? Absolutely. <laughs> that was just a fluke. I like the I like the red how the red looked on the gray. So, <laughs> I think yeah. Here you're playing uh, Space App, which is one of the new games that was added on. Yeah, version one. First impression of that game? Um, yeah, it's good. Uh, like I think we talked about this before that it would have been nice if he had added the overheating thing to the gun because yeah. I agree. One of the things that makes the game a little bit easier is you can just hold the fire button down and move the joystick to fire in any direction and not have to worry about how many shots you're using. Yeah. I do know like when you get your scores up closer to 100,000, those uh, whatever they're called that they fire at you start moving really fast. Yeah. And they're firing from all four sides at once. So it does start to get some difficulty, but it definitely ramps up slowly. Yeah. So if you have a, if you've played Gravatar and you're frustrated because you can't score a point, this this will help you feel better because you can score a bazillion points and not die for the first you know five ten minutes of play. <laughs> Next up, uh, Darren Ottery mentioned that he's got an update to his. And this is switching over to MC10 news now. So the MCX32 SD file browser. He added a suggestion by Ron Delvo. I don't know if Ron's still on the call here, but uh, thanks, Ron, for giving the suggestion. Um, he's added an at l to toggle inverse video text on and off. And he's showing inverse video on the screenshot, obviously. But if you prefer the dark green on light green background text, you can switch it to that, or you can switch to the light green on dark green, as is shown here. Um, and you can download it from his Google Drive directly. 
which has got the link to in the Facebook uh, MC10 group. Or if you get our show notes on Discord, it'll take you to the link directly here to his Google Drive. And you can download the cassette images to actually run it. And of course, it requires the MCX32 from uh, designed by Darren Atkinson and sold by Ed Snyder if he still has an in stock. Sorry, somebody else saying something? No, oh, it works well. Okay. And then also in the MC10 news, Robert Sieg, who we covered uh, doing his uh, sprite and tile design editor based on the Game Boy Color Advance, has uploaded another thing here for the MCX32 SD as well. And he's putting up his own menu system that he's working on. And he wants people to try it and give him some feedback on it. I haven't had a chance to actually look at it. He doesn't have a screenshot, so I don't know how different it is from Darren's or if it's like a radically new design or something. Um, he's recommending if you want to try it, you know, maybe you have a second SD card to put this on because he doesn't want to corrupt any stuff on your thing. And it's very early. It's like alpha, kind of just experimenting. But he does definitely wants some feedback. So if you do have an MC10, you do download this and give it a shot. Uh, go to the MC10 Facebook group on our MC10 group on Facebook and uh, share your feedback with him. Maybe you have any suggestions, if you find some things that maybe he should change, uh, maybe things he should add, et cetera. And last, we got a couple of dragon stories. So we covered last week that there are basically two projects ongoing at this point, one by Julian Brown and one by Karen Anscombe, known as 16 in our chat, the author of XOR of duplicating and replicating the Dragon 32 motherboards. And Julian, if you remember last week, you caught As the World Turns, uh, was having some issues and trying to figure out why it wasn't running properly. And he made progress this week after a tiny bit of a break to refresh the old brain. And I'll just read verbatim here. You can see that the color is definitely not right here, uh, but he's okay with that at this point. But for the uh, audio listeners, I'll just quote Julian. And we have a winner. Ignore the lack of color. That is the monitor, not the board. The cause of all my woes? In my infinite wisdom, I'd left C12 populated despite going for the full 64K conversion setup. So actually double good news as the built-in upgrade just works. I've no doubt added ground planes under the RAM chips is helping, but not seemingly essential. I'd rather they were present all the same. Just waiting for a few components to arrive to finish testing the cassette port and the audio. Happy. So we actually got it booted up in the ROM. The cursor's on the screen. It's not crashing or freezing so huge progress there and then by the same token and actually a little bit earlier in the week uh karen basically hit some pretty good progress himself on his version of it and he actually just put in a quick little 11 second video here and he just labeled it progress now he doesn't have a screen hooked up at this point he's got a scope hooked up you can see like you know the clips and stuff there for testing stuff and he's got a keyboard hooked up and basically what you're going to see here because it's kind of hard to tell if you're not no don't you're looking for but basically, he blindly types in motor on. Now, any of you know that, you know, if you get a cocoa from eBay and you don't have a monitor that is capable of displaying it right off the bat, if you want to test to make sure it actually is working, you can plug it in, turn it on. If you type motor on blindly, you should hear the cassette relay click inside the case. And then if you want to hear it click off, you can either type motor off or you can cheat like Karen did here and just hit a, any random key and cause a syntax error because basically when it hits a syntax error, it will automatically shut the uh, cassette relay off. So you hear a second click. I don't know how well it's going to come across here on the stream, but uh, it basically proves that BASIC is up and running. It's reading the keyboard correctly, and the BASIC interpreter is running fine too because he actually can turn the motor on and shut it off under keyboard control, even without a screen. So here we go. Let's see.
pretty faint. I don't know how well that came through on the stream, but basically the, you can hear the cassette relay clicking. And now he's in the same boat as Julian, and he's waiting for some parts to come in too. So that seems to be a problem with almost every hardware designer these days, that some parts you can get, some parts you still can't. And that is it for the news this week. 60 oh. mentioned in the chat that Julian Brown's project is a uh, Dragon 32, and his project is a Dragon 64. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, thanks. I knew Julian's was a 32. I just, just kind of assumed that uh, Karen's was as well. Cool. So both of them are getting duplicated. And I know one of the other people was actually working on the Dragon Professional or Beta or something. They were trying to figure out how to duplicate that as well. Yep. Might get the entire line. Then the Dragon Nation will be full strength. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Curtis. Yeah. I was wondering if anybody had mentioned anything about Robert Swoger. Uh, we did. Was it last week we mentioned when he passed away? Or two okay. weeks? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I do know they published the service was going to be streamed at some point, I think, didn't they? That was a bit more recent. Yeah, it's going to be March 5th. Um, it sounds like they're going to have a celebration of life for him. Now, does anybody know, like, he's he's had, you know, Coco Equipment stuff, is that being donated to Glenside, or is his family keeping that, or does anybody know about that? That's the one thing I was kind of curious about. I didn't John want to talk Mark to family about it this early. But... I, th I think John Mark was working with them about all that. Oh, okay, cool. Because it would be a shame to have the family just throw that stuff out if they, you know, they don't want it themselves. Yeah, also, uh, Annette is um, talking with Tony and myself, and that Force Ham radio gear. Oh, I, I forgot he was a ham. Sorry. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to be talking with Annette uh, in the next uh, few days about that and that. So that's good to hear. It sounds like all this old retro equipment that honestly his family probably is not interested in. Sounds like it will be going to a good home. So, yeah, I don't know what the, you know, like you said uh, about the cocoa equipment. So, okay. Brian, I'd also mention maybe uh, we uh, change the Glenn side page for Logical to maybe point to a different email. That way we know uh, if anybody's got questions or something. I, I know it's still right now going to, to Bob's email, his AOL account. Okay. He's taking over Logical. I was curious because I was interested in it, but I'd never followed up. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Logical is not just for the cocoa either, so that that's an interesting question. Correct. Yeah, I can make mention of that uh, to not to see. Um, well, yeah, who would that? Because that one and that wouldn't have anything to do with that. Um, who's updating the uh, the the color computer Glenside site? I think that's Eric, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's sad news about Bob's passing, um, as it is anybody in the COVID community when that happens. But it, it's good to see that some... We've talked about this before, actually, last year, where 
you know, we're getting up in age. Some of us are getting quite up in age. Um, and, and what happens to your equipment? Like, if you haven't made a will, does your family even know that Glenside exists to even, like, donate? Or, Hi, I'm you know, Terry Stiggy from Retro Tech Time. person in your area that you think it should go to so they can carry on working with it? Or, you know, if you don't say anything to your family and you don't have anything written down, that maybe it just all gets hucked out. And we know how expensive Cocos are getting trying to buy them on eBay. So less they go to the landfill, the better. So, you know, having a succession plan for your Coco you know, hardware and software is actually a really good idea to set up. So I'm glad that, you know, Bob's is being handled already. So thank you, uh, Glenside. I've been wanting to bring that up as a topic that we should probably talk about. You know, what do you do when you're gone and who takes care of your uh, collection? <clears throat> well, I know actually, one thing uh, I'll be doing myself. I think I mentioned on the show before, like I, I basically if Bill Noble's still around. I was going to will my Cocoa stuff to him because I know he'd use it. Otherwise, it goes to Glenside. And the other thing I was going to do is give all the source code to Nitrous 9 to Nick Moreni so we can carry on the legacy and continue programming. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fix it once and for all. <laughs> a big old magnet, right? <laughs> it'll, right? It'll be in good hands. <laughs> Thank God it's on an STC now. The magnet won't do nothing. <laughs> Actually, on the Atari age, there was a... No, yeah, on Atari age, there was a... a, a uh, thread just recently about you know what happens afterward and somebody posted a lot of really good content they actually have a, a will and they actually have set up where stuff's going to go and executor that or somebody helped the executor that knows figure out the values of things and where they should go and stuff like that so i'll post a link so can you like give to a club or should there be some kind of entity or trust set up where people like me who don't have a family can just say well yeah, the one person was actually setting up a trust as basically like a, a, a museum or a, a collection uh, for historical value. Actually, Mark, if you can gather that stuff up, that is a topic we should go into in more extensive detail, I think, honestly. Oh, I know. I've been, I've been thinking about it for the last couple of years. Uh, we we did have a pretty called... good talk on it like a year ago or something like that, but not any concrete, you know, what you really should yeah, do. Yeah, no, no specific stuff or uh, like, how do you yeah, set up a trust? How do you notify Glenn yeah. that I passed away? I don't have a family here either that has yeah. a clue what's going on. You know, type of thing. Um, the Apple site, Apple Fritter, they actually have a plan for that too. They set up something a couple of years ago called the 100 Year Plan. And so they actually have a team that manages Apple Fritter from the guy that, uh, and the guy that started is one of them. And so if anything happens to him, he will be replaced by somebody, one of the other two team members, and vice versa. If one of them something happens to them, then they're replaced. And so that's for websites and in continuation. I, something else I'd like to see, you know, uh, the Cocopedia and uh, uh, the Color Computer Archive and all these things, you know, they're great resources. They need to be, you know, preserved. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Like in my game site, like if I go away, then, you know, my game site, my Nitrous 9 site, <laughs> interview with Ken Kalish, you know, all that kind of stuff, like what happens. So hopefully the archive has managed to capture them. In the meantime, you know, sometimes it misses chunks. So maybe... There's some way to grab it off because it's actually hosted on my local machine here that I'm on right now. Um, Archive.org is really bad about pictures usually, but like zip files and stuff. There are numerous sites that have disappeared that I found remnants on archive.org, but there's no links to the files. There's no files existing. Yeah. So. And then me, like this entire shelving unit here is all Cocoa stuff. It's like rainbows, a few hot Cocoa's, color computer magazines, color computer news. It's original software. Xerox manuals, some books and stuff like that. Like that whole thing is Cocoa stuff that you go somewhere. And my closet's filled with like cartridges and the Eliminator from Frank Hogg and a bunch of other stuff too. So I'm having all my Ferraris buried with me. 
<laughs> Taking it with him. That'll all fit inside yeah. the coffin. Right. Take your ball and go home. Your home's six feet under. <laughs> is, that, is, that what, is that what they mean in Australia when they say down under? Is that just because of all the animals that are trying to kill you? Six feet over, wouldn't you? The Atari Age article is called The Last Stand of Retro Lovers, and it has some really good links about one person that's setting up a trust or going to an attorney, getting it basically set up as like a museum or a continuation. So there'll be an entity. I don't know how who's going to manage it after that, but they have a plan and they got some good points. So, yeah, because the legal issues of setting that up so it's enforceable and actually happens is the big thing that I don't think any of us really know much about. Right. Um, so it'd be really cool to get some concrete details on that. Like, what do you have to fill in? What do you have to sign? Do you have to get it notarized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, but, yes. At the end of the day, it would be nice to know, if I wanted to give my cocoa stuff to some cocoa place, who do I give it to? And what's the best way to do that? So, yeah. yeah like, in my case, I have a firm plan for that. Just I don't have it written down legally to be enforceable. Is that everything I have cocoa-related goes to Bill if he's alive. If not, it all gets shipped to the Glen side, and then they can put it in the auction. They can distribute it to members, do whatever they want. So, yeah. Well, but nobody besides you guys here and Bill knows this. So, I mean, if I die and then you guys get in contact, you know, nobody will know. Yeah, well, side may eventually become this huge repository of old cocoa stuff. Old that cocoa keep stuff. Unless they auction it all off every too. year to pay for the fest. I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's a good, good way for it to go. Like that computer as long as it goes to a good home eventually, that's all I care. Go ahead. Like that computer warehouse down in Dallas? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe <laughs> Mark, I should go to VCF too. I don't know. Like that's another option. So their warehouse. Mark Siegel said, Curtis, all your docs are being buried with you in your pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get to my pyramid under all the snow, sure. <laughs> a snow pyramid. There you go. Yeah, those melt in the summer or spring, though. So, so we'll find it eventually. But yeah, Mark, since you're you're familiar with the article and you've got that, maybe if you can kind of put together something, that actually might be a good sure. tech time topic for your, your show. I mean, it's not yes. technically hardware or anything, but it's very important, important and involves hardware. Like, what do you do with it when you pass away? Yeah, as I, for me, I think it's David Ladd. I've told my wife, you know, get a hold of David Ladd. <laughs> He'll know what to do. <laughs> So, but yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah and, and David will go. Does he have any doctor, diet Dr. Pepper? And she goes, No, then I'm not interested. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure there's a case or two included. That's going to be pretty old then. Yeah. Yeah. Seal's not broken, might still be a bit fizzy. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nick, you were saying well, he collects so many, he, he always wants so many, uh, more slots on his multi pack and all that. You'll probably want lots of Coco threes. And actually, uh, Nick, you're, you're one to ask too, because I mean, the states and Canada, there's enough of a user base here still that if you you probably can find somebody fairly close to you to give stuff. But what's the situation in Australia? Because I think there's less active users, and you guys yeah. are kind of scattered. So, like, what would happen to your stuff, for example? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Uh, what about all that source grabs? Code? Yeah, if you had like your source code, I could finally fix Gatecrasher and run in native mode. <laughs> <laughs> there won't be anyone else around to play it. <laughs> Not Coco users. 
but I mean, all jesting aside, I mean, it's it's a serious issue because we've seen what the AB prices have been doing lately. It's just nuts. And as as TGB pointed out, he did a quick look in a Cocoa Three one twenty eight K, not even five twelve or upgraded, four hundred and some odd dollars. That's nuts. So, I know some people have gotten lucky and found cheaper ones, but you have to kind of hunt for those. So I'd rather give it to a, you know somebody that is going to use it doesn't have to go broke trying to get back into the hobby. Exactly. I'm not in it for the money. I mean, obviously, I don't charge for EOU whatsoever. You know, I feel guilty so. for for hoarding them because I have three, but none of them really work properly. So, <laughs> oh, that's my issue. You're actually, yeah. actually saving people grief and and uh, angst. So thank you, Fred. In my case, I've got two Cocoa 3s and one Cocoa 1. Jeez, well, Fred, and, you only have three? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and in my case, I need to test like a gimme X system with a 2 meg from a certain company. And then a, the other one has 2 meg with a plain gimme from a different company so that I can test, you know, the upgrades work the same. And does it compatible to gimme X? And can it run a trip speed and blah, blah, blah. So I do need two physical ones because the, the gimme X is not emulated. I can't even test the emitter. And as Nick is you know, many times said, and I've said as well, you can't 100% trust emulators. Right. As as the fact that Tim just fixed a whack load of bugs on the 689-639 core for doing exchanges and transfers. And you can't, I, go ahead. You can't even trust a cocoa to be a representative cocoa. I've got three that are different. That are yeah, that's right. I mean, you were having so many problems with the uh, Ethernet card there because of very slight timing differences and stuff. So yeah, speaking of Paul Barton earlier when, uh, when Ron DeVoe was talking about him, <laughs> Paul gave me a NoCan 3 board, which is supposed to be an 8 meg RAM upgrade, a 16550 serial port, a real parallel port, and a clock doubler circuit. Mine was the only one that Paul installed it in that the clock doubler never worked. I have I have one of the original batches of the that Ethernet cartridge. Um, and it doesn't work on any of my three cocos. So <laughs> I have better firmware for that. Yeah, so I'm I'm bringing all three cocos and the cartridge with me to Coco Fest to see if somebody, oh, perhaps you, Pat, uh, could figure it out. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> fixed. And if it isn't, I have the the bounce. I didn't show the bouncing date. It's now August to get the stupid chip that I ordered last August or August. But it's been <laughs> every, right. every, every quarter. Mauser sends me a new date, shipping date, and it goes later and it goes earlier and then it becomes later i had a running bit but they got old so i dropped it well um, i'll bring all that anyway just to see uh what you I, can I think i have the final out. solution for the entire problem but it need, i need a faster gal than the one that i can get cheap and dirty which is the only one anyone can get nowadays so yeah here we set all twiddling our thumbs <laughs> mark said on the chat I hope you're all autographing your cocos so in a thousand years people will know who owned it. <laughs> He's a good sharpie. Yeah. That, that would Isn't that what the serial numbers mind. are for? Dremel tool. <laughs> I, I've instructed my kids that they can sell my ag vision and launch me into space when I croak. <laughs> Hopefully before I or after I croak, but I don't know. You never know. <laughs> Make sure you uh, sign it with a metallic Sharpie so it shows up nice and bright. That's what <laughs> probably should be on our badge on the top. I put my uh, I put my initials on all my baseball cards when I was a kid. That was stupid. 
Um, <laughs> some of them. I did that with one of my comic books. A bit too. of money. <laughs> this would be ten thousand dollars, but uh, fifty bucks. Yeah. What, what do you mean? My autograph on it makes it worth less. What? I have a a, a Commodore one twenty eight that's evidently uh, owned by Bill Hurd. Well, at least his name's on it. Yeah, I'm going to sign mine, Mark Siegel. That's what I'm going to do. For for those who don't know, <laughs> Bill Hurd was the principal designer of the Commodore 128. Yeah, he's also the keynote speaker at that recent Canadian show, if I remember correctly, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he's quite common in the uh, Commodore uh, shows and world. So he what does a, like a, uh, s- a speaking circuit, right? <laughs> What's yeah. this Commodore you speak of? Who's it going <laughs> and that spelled with one is that a wannabe two? atari or something <laughs> it's an early precursor to modern computers that, uh, <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's a, a retired <laughs> computer you guys are gonna get a whole bunch of pitchforks and torches in your hair <laughs> i just gotta cover up my commodores there there we go luckily we're widely dispersed and it'll be extremely unprofitable for them to try to chase us all down there we go nobody can see my commodores uh back on the shelves now <laughs> mark you well, gotta for, turn your volume up for years i for years i pronounced it commode or um <laughs> i still do now, that was part of the 80s schoolyard all the different names <laughs> crapple the crapple door commode door and all the other good ones Barfari, you know. You guys stop commode computer. Mac and trash. Yeah, yeah. trash, trash AD. Cocoa. Yeah. My, Mikey <laughs> just called asparagus. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Insightful person amongst us. Well, it's a good thing we changed the name with the show change. <laughs> hey, Mark, if you, if you seriously, if you can actually get that kind of like maybe do a bit of research, you you know what you're talking yeah. about, unlike the rest of us. I would love to do it <clears throat> either part of the regular show or as a tech talk to go yeah, through that because that is something that is important and it will affect all of us eventually so. yes 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 okay talking about, yeah i'm gonna be around here forever mm-hmm. i don't have anything else yeah, to say so i don't know if somebody else has anything they want to wrap things up with i think oh, uh, cool. i got my tubes full of chips and this suspiciously unpopulated multi-pack to fix so <laughs> cool so you're saying you're gonna be busy this evening yeah i have a plan <laughs> so I want to take another crack at running that uh, promo that Terry has that he would like me to run. Okay. Uh, Break the screen. Yeah. Screen close up. Can you play that Gimes thing again? It was pretty good. Good <laughs> transitions earlier too. Hi, I'm Terry Stegi from Retro Tech Time and the okay. Candy Shack, and you're watching the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the candy colored computer Look and its hardware cousins. Yeah, there we go. I think you're on a different screen, Mark. Yeah, I am. You never look better, Terry. Now you'll see me keep it that way. Well, I think it went out. Yeah, it went on okay. Okay. Well, then my joke doesn't make any sense, but that's kind of the normal. <laughs> yeah, we just see a, like a folder on our end here and heard it. Yeah, that's because uh, uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to give a cutoff time for adding yeah. new content. 
You should. Uh, so don't uh, don't make your own life more difficult by accepting stuff right through the beginning of the show. No. Yeah, the cutoff time was last week. Yeah. Well. Oh, hey, the, Mark, I have something I'm about to send yeah. you. Could you just put it on the show today? Yeah. Well, that was the boss man, Neil. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let me share my screen. Uh. Okay. Go ahead. What the. F- just kidding, just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Get hey, back to work on Andor hey, three. Sharing sharing screen. Hey, that's fine. We can do that. Um okay. Actually, that's everything that was on my list to check off. So uh shall well, we so I guess I, I want to ask the panel and ask the chat as well before we sign off for today. This was our first official episode of the Coco Nation. We kind of did a, a warm-up one last week. How did you guys think it went? Swimmingly. Aside from that very last bit that uh, Mark screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was Terry's fault. It went very well. Taking out his paycheck. It went good. Well, we weren't talking over. about bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the stream didn't actually have any problems. There, Mark, no, did you notice any red? I have no drop, no drop frames today. Cool. Great. And hey, I just have to say, after Gravitor, the game on challenge can only go up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, unless we play Predator. Mm-hmm. No, it's still up. <laughs> Predator versus Ravager. Sixty's really keen on the show. He said it's better than last week. <laughs> it's a very small slope, but it's still up. <laughs> yeah. A little, little tighten up as you go. Yeah. This is good. Oh, right. I say thanks to everybody who's been oh. working on all the media and stuff. I mean, it, it looks great. I, Mark, thank you for all your work on that, too. It's been a I know it's been a challenge, but uh, yeah, I know we've got some more bumpers in the queue coming up. There's some that are still promised. There's a few we have. We haven't split yet and stuff, so there's more coming our way that way too for the can following we, shows too. Can we have Jim Rye tell us a little about himself? I don't, I don't know that I know him. That's much. true. Oh, um, wow! And is it I, with seeds or without Jim Rye? This is your life. <laughs> or this could <laughs> be next week's coming. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next week's show, because I had to go through all that. Yes, we should interview him. Yeah, we want a proper wow. interview with him at the beginning of the show, I think, Ron. Will you be here next week, Ron, to help interview him? It's not hard. Well, are you going to buy him lunch? I might show up for that. Take advantage of the green room. So, Jim, you're not allowed to take next week off. You have to be on here for our uh, This is your life. brief interview. Fair enough. Because we've already done three and a half hours uh, today, so. So next week, Jim, you only have to fill about two hours with talking about yourself. Okay. I'm sure I'm that <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and as a teaser, he's very active in the Game On Live Challenge. So then he should be in the title next week. Yeah, I think yep. he should yep. be first next week. I mean, our our headliner, that. yes. Yeah, because if... Uh, if you better if, come up no with pressure. some pressure. <laughs> if you got all week to think of something slick to say. <laughs> And now we're going to have to find somebody to do the new who's new to Discord now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because if the games and the game on challenge don't improve, he may be doing the game on challenge. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, are you saying I might get fired? (laughs) You're saying one Jim Rye is greater than Ken Waters plus Sloopy? Is that what we're saying? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm doing the game on uh, challenge live. I don't have anything to do with that. What I'm (laughs) saying is, is that... uh, Something might happen to Ken, and well, <laughs> and yeah, stop there. do the job. 
So if you guys see anybody sneaking up behind me, let me know. <laughs> that include cats. I was hoping Chris Cromwell was going to especially come cats. Yeah, my cats would probably do it for. Well, I mean, I'd love to have TGB Chris on Chris Cromwell. I'd love to have on as well. So, um, yeah, if we can get them on too, even if it's just kind of the, you know, the quick 10, 15 minute, you know. How did you get in the cocoa? How long have you been back into it? That kind of stuff here. Just kind of get a, a feel you're, for some of the where you're gonna donate people newer to our show. When, when you die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll save that for the big Mark Overall's <laughs> special on that. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna have to make a new Facebook group. <laughs> no, not another one. This is as bad as channels on Discord. Coco repository. <clears throat> Send your stuff here. Coco repository or suppository? That's my question. <laughs> No, David Lord says check under the hood before you start your car. Turn it sideways; it'll fit better. Yeah, I'll just get my mom to keep side. starting the car for me. Is this why yellow asparagus? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can't use right. repository. You might get mixed up with the Commodore stuff. All right, yeah, we're, we're, watch out behind you. Jack Tremiel is coming. Here's we have an end mm-hmm. show. Here's okay, Mark. I think we're done. Uh, <laughs> The Coco Nation train wreck is over, and we welcome you to the last surviving car. Join us on the Coco Discord server. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever. I gotta hit this button again. All right. Okay. We're ready to say goodbye then. Yep. We'll goodbye, see you all man. next week. Thanks for showing up for our first official um new show under the new title with a bunch of new graphics, etc. Thanks Mark, for hanging out with us. Numbers. Thanks for being on the panel. God, we had such a full panel today. And yeah. I look forward to the big interview with Jim Rye next week. No pressure. Mark, thanks for putting <laughs> WeFax down below. Start start submitting questions right. for Jim Rye in the Discord. <laughs> start thinking yeah, your questions now. <laughs> wow, he sounds nervous already. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Jim, it only hurts the first time. <laughs> okay. Bye. See you all next everybody. week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.